precious toddler, I'm losing my memories of my past life and my very identity! Hello, and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Dustin Jackson. And if you're in the northern cremosphere, then welcome to Autumn. Hello, hello Autumn, how are you? Please allow DK Vine to be your constant companion as you go apple picking, make leaf pie, ferment acorn cider, and get COVID in a spirit Halloween. Woo! My favorites. And... Not in, not in that order. <laughs> if you're entering spring right now, then please enjoy all of that sticky honey and gooey pollen. Achoo! But also... Heil, so, you know, you know those, you've seen us play Mario Party Superstars. You know how you can post, like, stickers while you're playing? Like, you can post a little emote while yeah, you're playing? Yes, yes. Um, that would be yours. Your, it would be a picture of you, and it would say, achoo, but also... It makes it just sound like I'm slurping up my own snot. There's nothing wrong with that. No, that can be your character trait. The intent was that the pollen's making me sneeze, but also yummy, yummy in my tummy. Give me all that <laughs> sticky insect goo. Yeah, that's better. That's that's a better context. <laughs> anyway, it's a new season. No matter where you are on this little little sphere, rocketing around the sun. And we've got a bevy, yes, that's right, a bevy of Whoa. 20th anniversaries that we'll be covering throughout this back quarter of the year, including a 20th anniversary retrospective on everyone's favorite rare game, Grabbed by the Ghoulies. Woo! We've also got spotlight episodes, spotlight episodes on Mario Kart Double Dash and, wait for it, anticipation? No, not anticipation. Let the anticipation build. <laughs> Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze. That's right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I almost wet my little pants just at the name. I Well, I yeah, everybody got really excited, and then I stuck the dagger in their side. <laughs> I'm excited about the barrel maze spotlight. Long overdue. But we are starting this new season of the year honoring an unfortunately overlooked Game Boy Advance title that first came out in September of 2003. It's a game that's near and dear to DK Vine's heart, as well as the hearts of like-minded weirdos who wanted the Banjo-Kazooie series to continue to expand outward, you know, with new styles of gameplay, new perspectives, and new creative minds at the helm, contributing to the grand tapestry that is Banjo-Kazooie. And unfortunately, you know, we, we didn't really get that all that much. Uh, this this was the third Banjo-Kazooie game, and it's also, weirdly, one of the last Banjo-Kazooie games. But we, we are talking about Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge on this episode. 
Yeah, that's that's what I like to hear. That that's what I like to hear come out of Hyle's little mouth, out of his little throat. <laughs> My little throat that I wish was just covered in insect goo. Yeah, it it really helps these words come out of it. <laughs> and also, I I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to our unofficial co-host of this episode. She's Freezer. She's in our live stream chat right now. She is probably, and she's quickly ascended to one of the people in our community who I, I think has become the, who I think of when, when I think of these Game Boy Advance titles that Rare created post buyout or i guess yeah pre-buyout but released post buyout she's done a number of videos on them on her youtube channel i i would recommend checking them out but also just she's got a genuine enthusiasm for all of them which is really fantastic to see because you know usually i'm the one who has to get excited about this stuff <laughs> and <laughs> it's really nice when anyone out there not in our immediate sphere gets excited for us because it makes my job a whole hell of a lot easier if that enthusiasm is like spread out across the 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 community and across the globe and unfortunately not too many people are enthused about grunny's revenge but for those of us who care about it we are very very intense yeah uh thank you freezer for being a fan of the game boy advance games uh some I, I love to see people become fans of these games. It, it, like, it, it's great when you see, like, new videos pop up on YouTube that are like, uh, I love this Banjo-Kazooie game. I love this Donkey Kong fella. But it's it's even greater when they hit the more obscure games, like the Game Boy Advance games, Grabbed by the Ghoulies. That, that's more, that's fun. That's, yeah. That's fun to see some love for those. Well, and, you know, at DK Vine, we've always championed these titles, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're one of the oddities out there where we were, you know, people probably viewed us as just rare, like, loyalist, obsessives, biased, you know, for everything rare did, or that we were just hipsters, you know, embracing things that other people didn't care about. But we we really genuinely love these games when it wasn't cool to love them. And yeah, you know, it's always believe us. We would love we would love for it to be cool to love these games. Yeah. We we don't we would love if other people were like, oh yeah, Banjo Kazooie, Grunchy's Revenge, Saber Wolf, hell yeah. But I what I think is refreshing about Freezer is like she ha she has a real love for them, and it's a relatively recently discovered love for them. It, it, it's not just like. We hadn't, like, compared notes up until recently. Like, she discovered them, I think, via DK Vine rambling about them. And it's just nice to see new people stumble upon them. And, you know, it, it like, getting a YouTube video in the modern day about them that just doesn't have a thumb thumbnail art of just the, the host making this exasperated expression. Like, <laughs> you know, like, how dare this game exist? I'm cartoonishly frustrated that it's a thing <laughs> arms folded just scowling yeah or like they've been in a fight or something like the game beat them up i, I what, <laughs> what is that what is that so 
<laughs> anyway, if you enjoy Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, I want to extend that love and appreciation to you as well, even if I'm not name-dropping you. If you're listening to this and you adore Grunty's Revenge, welcome, my friend. If you have never played it and you're unfamiliar, then brace yourself, because we will be getting into why Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge still matters. And yes, it does matter. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's why I decided to come on, because I do think it matters. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe not everyone will see it that way. No, we, Especially since it was left out of Rare Replay, which yeah. is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, we, we're here to uh, boost it up a little. Exactly. I, I think it's worth boosting. Speaking of yeah. boosting, I want to... Give some plugs to our own bullshit really quickly, Dustin. Now, okay, th- don't worry. This this is this is actually a thing that doesn't benefit us directly. So it was World Gorilla Day on September twenty fourth, and we have got a special charity T shirt now available on our merchandise store at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise or just by searching for us on TeePublic. It's the World Gorilla Day 2023 t-shirt with a design by you, Dustin. Oh, me? This is news to me. No, I'm I'm very happy with how this uh, shirt came out. Yeah, and it's like just just a, a day to honor and educate about gorillas, still an endangered species, mind you. And so all of DK Vine's proceeds from this World Gorilla Day 2023 t-shirt will be going to the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, the foremost organization dedicated to the study and preservation of gorillas in their African habitats. You can find out more at gorillafund.org. You can donate directly to them. You don't need to get the t-shirt to donate to them. <laughs> but just cut out the middleman. I don't need a shirt. The t-shirt is lovely. Uh I've got I've got mine on order and um we'll be keeping this on sale year round. This this is not something we just have like up for a week to tie into the holiday. This is a thing that you can Get at any time you want, and the proceeds will go indefinitely to the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. So check it out on our merchandise store. Yeah, love it. All right, Dustin. All right. We only do these Why Blank Still Matters episodes for DKU games that have left a measurable impact in some form or fashion. The Elite, right? We've got... Right, right. Diddy Kong Racing. I think that speaks for itself. We have the original Banjo-Kazooie. Ditto. And even though we can debate the final product until we're as blue in the face as an item only Lanky Kong can collect, Donkey Kong 64. Oh, man. I'd be honored if Lanky Kong collected my blue face. (laughs) So you might be surprised to see an episode like this on Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge. It's a game that, as I mentioned, we talk about quite a bit on DK Vine. It's held up by DK Viners like Freezer, but is usually ignored by the more casual 
Banjo-Kazooie fandom. And, and the casual Banjo-Kazooie fandom can be quite intense in, in their dedication. <laughs> but Dustin, you and I were kind of talking about this before we started recording. It, just, it feels like there are different degrees to Banjo-Kazooie fandom. And some pockets of Banjo-Kazooie fandom only like the original two N64 games or maybe even just the original game itself. Yeah, I know a lot. I've seen a lot of people who say anything after the first game, just don't bother me with it. Right, which seems very limiting. Like, I, I can understand the debate between Kazooie and Tui. It's a debate I think you and I are on different sides of, Dustin. Like, we we love both games, but we just find where each game excels to appeal to our sensibilities more. Like, I really love Banjo-Kazooie, you really love Banjo-Tooie, but I really like Banjo-Tooie just as you really like Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, totally. We see each other's perspectives on it, but yeah, there, there are some Banjo fans who only like a specific number of games, and it usually excludes the Game Boy Advance games and the permutations thereof, like the mobile versions, which we won't be getting into on this episode. <laughs> but we'd we'd be here all day. Yeah, we'll 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 do a spotlight episode one day on Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge Mobile Edition and of course Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge Missions. Two separate spotlights, of course we gotta do it right. <laughs> but yeah, these games are also disregarded when it comes to to the mainstream gaming media. Like, these are mostly ignored. And it's funny to think about that because I usually think of Grunny's Revenge as the rare GBA game out of what we call the THQ4. I'll get explain more on that in just a bit. But it's, it's the game that gets most of the attention. And it does, but that attention is still scanty. It, it's still yeah. a bit thin. Scanty. scanty? That's a good word. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it doesn't help that it's just hard to get your hands on these days. Like, like I was saying, like, you can't play these in Rare Replay, which is a real shame. Uh, and, you know, they're not on Switch Online. They're hard to actually get a hold of. Yeah, they, they really are. And I feel like it is one of the biggest omissions from Rare Replay. We just talked about on our most recent episode, how weird it is that the Pendragon games, at least one of them, isn't in Rare Replay, considering the yeah. importance uh, the character Sir Arthur Pendragon has taken on with Sea of Thieves. And I would say the the other big omission, of course, you know, excluding things like Donkey Kong Country, which they couldn't legally include, is the at least one of these GBA games, because they meant so much, especially to Rare fandom who had been with them through thick and thin through the Nintendo years and then made the journey with them either on the Xbox platform or stayed behind on Nintendo but still bought all the games they released on the Game Boy Advance and then Nintendo DS during the buyout era. Just... They they allowed that transition to Microsoft to be a little bit more graceful because we still got output on uh, a Nintendo platform for several years. I mean, they, they released them through 2007. So it wasn't just, you know, overnight, okay, Rare is no longer making any games for Nintendo. It was kind of a gradual cool down, you know. Yeah. We, we didn't get anything else on the GameCube after Star Fox Adventures, but we still had quite the little library 
on on the handheld platforms, and I adore most of those games. I mean, let's be honest. I ad- <laughs> most of them. Well, Banjo Pilot is the elephant in the room, and yeah, uh, w- which is weird considering that Taj was only going to be in Donkey Kong Racing, not Diddy Kong Pilot. But it, it you know. Uh, more, more on Banjo Pilot in a bit too, because it does come into this discussion just a little bit. But I would say that this episode is more akin to the Donkey Kong Land episode we did in this format, because we mm-hmm. did a Donkey Kong Land episode. Why Donkey Kong Land still matters, and that might be questionable to some younger gamers or just gamers who weren't involved in the fandom at the time, because. Donkey Kong Land was a huge deal when it was initially released in 1995. You know, it even got limited tie-in merchandise. It it, it had the bubble gum, Donkey Kong Land bubble gum. <laughs> it had the tie-in novel, the kids novel, junior novel. Um Right, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm very familiar with that one. Yeah, so that that was during the days of wine and roses for the Donkey Kong Country series, when that was Nintendo's most popular franchise, you know, in, in the years preceding the N64 and Pokemon, like it, Donkey Kong Country was the biggest shit that Nintendo had to offer. And so, yeah, Donkey Kong Land even got, you know, a lot of love and a lot of shine on it. But Donkey Kong Land has really only fallen down the memory hole in subsequent years you know younger generations who never played donkey kong land haven't really had easy access to it 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 was on the the e-shop you know back back when that was available but it really hasn't been widely available since then and honestly you know younger gamers might be turned off because it's a monochrome game that doesn't play as elegantly as donkey kong country and the general misconception that it's merely a port of that game has kind of taken hold but grunny's revenge was a game that even casual gamers who really liked banjo kazooie probably didn't even know about when it came out And that's obviously only gotten worse, as you said. You know, it's not been commercially available since release. It's not been in Rare Replay. It's not on NSO. It's just kind of this historical artifact. Like, oh yeah, there was a Banjo-Kazooie game on the Game Boy Advance. So actually, there was two. uh, But but Grunny's Revenge is the the big one. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, just nowhere. Not on Virtual Console ever. It's no re-releases. Yeah. So, for those who are deeply immersed in this shared universe, whether you're like a Banjo-Kazooie diehard who you've got to play everything, no judgment, or you're a fan of the broader Donkey Kong universe concept, you know, rare shared universe, Grunny's Revenge is everything. I, I can't stress this enough how much this game means to weirdos like us. Yeah, I mean, it it comes up on DK Vine more often than anywhere else, I would say. Yeah, when promoting this episode, I likened it to the Dead Sea Scrolls, like, because it it is the thing that makes the Banjo-Kazooie series make sense, Which, which (laughs) which is odd to say because it has the most ludicrous plot of any of the games, but... 
you plug in all the things you learn in Granny's Revenge and you're like, oh, wow, that gives a lot of weight to this bit in Banjo-Kazooie. Or, oh, that helps me understand what's going on in Banjo-Tooie a little bit more. And I love when games can do that. I feel like Donkey Kong Land did the same thing to Donkey Kong Country. Like, Donkey Kong Land really expanded the world that Donkey Kong Country only gave us a small glimpse of. It, like, widened that keyhole that we were looking through, and then it was like, oh, this is really cool. And I, I, I feel like... I mean, Rare's handheld games mean so much to me because they you know, would individually make me a bigger fan of that property. Donkey Kong Land did it for me for Donkey Kong Country. Uh, Granny's Revenge did it for me for Banjo-Kazooie. Conker's Pocket Tales is a bit of an outlier because that actually was the first Conker game, but I probably (laughs) probably wouldn't be as big of a Conker fan as I am if it wasn't for Conker's Pocket Tales. Like, you've you've got... Yeah, it, it, it it gives more context to the world, especially since Bad Fur Day. You really don't get much outside of what you see there so it's nice to have something to go oh well this is what you don't see here yeah and it's also nice to have that little adventure with conquer before the fall sort of like yeah you know when (laughs) when he's still that heroic idealistic fella from diddy kong racing versus the cynical drunk from from bad fur day (laughs) so yeah i mean um the, the rare handheld games just mean the world to me and that's a love affair that's continued to this day i mean just declaring saber wolf to be dku last year really made me reevaluate and rediscover that game and i'm like this is a pretty sweet little adventure rare holy cow it's great holy rare yeah Yeah. I, i love that game i love both these games yeah So, while it's one of those cases where the exact date is argued over by a couple of days, by our own site records, and we've been around now for 24 years, so I I will stand by this, Banjo-Kazooie Grunny's Revenge was first released in North America on September 15th, 2003. It was the second rare game for the Game Boy Advance following the remake of Donkey Kong Country earlier that year, but it was the first to be published by THQ. So, I don't know how much you know about this, Dustin, but Rare's prolific Game Boy Advance output. You know, they released seven games for the Game Boy Advance across mm-hmm. its lifespan. However, that almost did not come to pass. They announced... Oh, I know. Th- I, I know the whole story. All right, well, then we'll, we'll tell it together. They announced Grunny's Revenge, along with Saber Wolf, Diddy Kong Pilot, and Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers at the much-fabled, much-ballyhooed E3 2001. Just the torrent of DKU games announced at that E3 is still unmatched to this day. Yeah. However, September 2002, Microsoft purchases Rare. And that put all of these titles for the GBA in question. Obviously, things like Diddy Kong Pilot and Donkey Kong Coconut Crackers had a big, you know, asterisk next to them. But even Grunny's Revenge and Saber Wolf, there was a question. Well, 
they're obviously not going to be able to release anything for the Game Boy Advance now that Microsoft owns them. And even Rare was uncertain at the time because while Microsoft didn't have a problem with them releasing titles for what's ostensibly a competitor's handheld system since they had no handheld on the market, Rare could self-publish games under their deal with Nintendo, like Diddy Kong Racing, Conker's Pocket Tales, Conker's Bad Fur Day, at least in the U.S. Um, you know, N- Nintendo granted them, I, I think, I-, I don't really know the ins and outs, but I know after the massive success of Donkey Kong Country and Killer Instinct, the Stampers were able to negotiate this deal where they could, in addition to have games published by Nintendo, self-published games with the help of Nintendo, sort of these va- right. vanity releases where, you know, Rare gets to, for the first time in their history, publish games in their own right, which was a big deal at the time. Ironically, their yeah. first self-published game was Diddy Kong Racing, which just <laughs> confuses people to this day. Uh, it was a rare game, but Nintendo owned the name Diddy Kong Racing and basically licensed them Diddy and Crunch and Banjo at the time. But that's a whole other can of worms. But anyway, right. uh, so so Rare could do that under the deal with Nintendo, but they didn't have that same autonomy as a part of the then Microsoft Studios, now Xbox Studios. So for a while, people at Rare were operating under the assumption that these games would just never see the light of day. And some of them, like Saber Wolf, were basically complete. And, and so, right. so they were just sitting on the shelf. And so the handheld team moved on. They were like, well, okay, we got to keep busy. And so if we technically can make games for the Game Boy Advance, we're going to have to do it under the auspices of Nintendo. So the only thing that Nintendo would be interested in would be a remake. So they made Donkey Kong Country for the Game Boy Advance, which is why also they did that so soon after Donkey Kong Country for the Game Boy Color. It's because at the time, like they didn't think they were going to be able to really do anything else. So, well, we might as well do this game. And then if that does well, we'll do the second and so on. But it was THQ who had published Conqueror's Bad Fur Day in Europe when Nintendo basically just wanted no part in that, even though it'd be rare doing the self-publishing thing. You know, like I said, Nintendo still had some say in that. They they still, I, right. I think, gave some financial support for that. So they, they, they didn't want to do it in Europe. They're like, this is this is a foul little monster, this Conqueror. No, <laughs> thank you. Because for whatever reason, Nintendo of Europe was more prudish than Nintendo of America, which you wouldn't think yeah, that would who be the guessed? case. Yeah, yeah. Um, puritanical Americans were like, yeah, give us that pissing squirrel. <laughs> give us that big shit monster. Uh, achoo. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, THQ, who had, you know, already had this relationship with Rare from a couple years prior, they came to the rescue. So, reportedly, though... THQ only wanted the Banjo-Kazooie title, Granny's Revenge. Uh, they, they, right. they, they had no interest in what Rare's ideas were. Well, they had no interest in Saber Wolf, right? Like, who, what the fuck is Saber Wolf? But, yeah, I, lo- I love Saber Wolf, but I can't really blame them. <laughs> if, if, if it, it, it's a hard one. It's a tough sell. And, well, I think Rare's idea was... 
at least once they gave up the goat on Diddy Kong Pilot, because I think they were still kicking around Diddy Kong Pilot, like in the 2003, like maybe Nintendo would be interested and Nintendo just wasn't biting on it. So they were like, well, okay, of course we're going to make a Banjo Pilot, right? But uh, the, the, then our idea for Coconut Crackers was, uh, Mr. Pants. <laughs> and THQ was like, of course, if they didn't want Saberwolf, they definitely didn't want It's Mr. Pants. They just wanted whatever Banjo games Rare could give them. Because Banjo-Kazooie was right. 2003. It was still pretty well-known IP. You know, it was still only five years after the original N64 game and only three years after... Banjo Tooie. So THQ wanted Banjo, but thankfully the Stampers played hardball and they said, okay, you want Grony's Revenge, you want Banjo Pilot, you're also going to have to take Saber Wolf and its Mr. Pants. It's all or nothing. <laughs> and uh, THQ thought, well, it's worth it then if we can get Grony's Revenge. So that that's how the deal is made. Like Grunny's Revenge, hell, Grunny's Revenge. If you want to know why it matters, it matters because we wouldn't have had its Mr. Pants and Saber Wolf without <laughs> Grunny's Revenge. So there you go. That's the episode. Thank you. Yeah, episode over. Good night. But that also explains why Grunny's Revenge was the only one to get actual promotion from THQ. Like, THQ right. did run, um, like, print ads for Grunny's Revenge. They kind of acknowledged Saber Wolf, but... Yeah, didn't it, didn't it at least get, like, a print ad? It, it might have somewhere, but It's Mr. Pants was just barely released at all. Like, they, I, I think they, like, released maybe 12 copies, allegedly, um <laughs> yeah when when i finally got my copy of it's mr pants not even that long ago i think it was after rare replay even you could still buy brand new uh still in the shrink wrap copies of it's mr pants on amazon for like ten dollars yeah i know when we did our magfest panel cameron and i in early 2000 we talked about it's mr pants and somebody in the audience pulled out their phone and purchased purchased a copy on the spot <laughs> and they were rules. surprised how cheap it was. Like getting a brand new sealed copy was still so cheap. But yeah, you know, in this age of game collector speculation, like it, it's it's bizarre that you can get a near twenty year old game still factory sealed for a relatively reasonable price. But they did it. I think freezer. <laughs> uh, Freezer also got hers relatively recently as well. But yeah, like, it, it, it was not the greatest deal that, that THQ afforded them, but we did get those games. And we wouldn't yeah. have gotten those games otherwise. And you can thank Granny's Revenge for them even seeing the light of day. So... Thank you, Grunty's Revenge. Thank you. Thank you, Grunty's Revenge. And of course, we will be talking about all of the THQ4 um, as they celebrate their 20th anniversaries in the next couple of years. But make no mistake, Dustin, aside okay. from Banjo Pilot, the THQ4 were all absolute bangers. They were fantastic. The handheld team consisted of different individuals 
working on different games. Like, they didn't just all work on the same games. Like, they don't, like, all share the same credits. But I think all of their output does consist of some similar DNA. And they were just beautifully efficient little games bounding with ideas that I would argue sometimes even outpaced what the bigger teams working on the Xbox and Xbox 360 titles were doing. And I don't mean any shade thrown their way, but these games just, like, punched above their weight limit. Yeah. Even Banjo Pilot, the the only one of the four I would actually consider mediocre, that was basically a case of their hands being tied because they came up with a fucking fantastic solution for Banjo Pilot. They created the voxel version of Banjo Pilot, which was a technical marvel it, it it was just unbelievable. We, we've talked about it recently here on The Conversation, just what they were able to achieve on the GBA. And the only reason that didn't see release, like there were a lot of stories at the time, oh, it just, just couldn't run. Like ultimately it wasn't feasible. No, it could run. It was just that uh, I, I think it was Tim Stamper, might've been Chris Stamper. I get them confused all the time. One of them lives in a Dracula castle. And anyway, um, <laughs> one of the stampers said, due to the inability to have link cable support for multiplayer, uh, they, they really wanted that feature. And so they scrapped. I don't the, know. They scrapped. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't know anyone who's ever played Banjo Pilot multiplayer. Exactly. Like, that's just not a thing. I would rather have an absolutely mind-melting single-player racing experience on the GBA than a mediocre, almost pointless experience that if I ever found somebody who had a cartridge, I could link up my GBA with them and play a really uninspiring round of racing. <laughs> it's just it's just no contest. You know, the, the Stampers, in a lot of ways, were brilliant visionaries, and I owe so much to them. I mean, they they founded and shepherded the studio that means more to me than any other video game studio on the planet. But they could also be wrong, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and this, is, this is one of the reasons like, they're not infallible. But, you know, they, they did more good than bad. It just, this, this was one of their biggest misfires. It was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Not not everybody's right 100% of the time. To to be perfectly fair to Banjo Pilot though, to be like totally perfectly fair. It it it's not good it, or it's not great, we'll say. It's yeah. fine. But to be fair, I feel like that's my opinion on almost every Game Boy Advance kart racer. <laughs> like I I think it's really hard to do a good one on there. I if if there's a really good kart racer on Game Boy Advance, I have not played it. <laughs> I, I think you can see that with Super Circuit, which has really shown its exactly. age. Exactly. But ban- like the voxel version of Banjo Pilot would have at least been just really fun to look at. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I say all that because the handheld team were just really deft at taking the hardware limitations and they were able to just do wonders with it. And that, I mean, that's a hallmark of rare really of any era, right? Just taking the hardware and saying, okay, how can we make the most mind blowing game possible with this? 
and right. and even in their one misfire, they still did it. It was just politics kept it from actually seeing the light of day. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad. But we're not here to lament the loss of the banjo pilot that we wanted to play. We're here to talk about Banjo-Kazooie Grunny's Revenge. And I want to talk about the brilliance of the story. The the conceit of the story. Because it took them a while to land on how to do a Banjo-Kazooie game that wasn't like part of the Greg Mayles lineage that that was yeah. that was its own thing but still like complemented what what the the Mayles Sutherland team was doing with Kazooie and Tui and eventually they settled upon a drop-in midquel that's actually a stealth prequel yeah um <laughs> <laughs> It, it 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 was it was pretty weird. It, it feels like the decision to make it in an actual like an in between in an in between call mm-hmm. uh, came pretty late. Yeah, so like it it could have just been a terrible idea, like dropping <laughs> a whole unmentioned until now adventure between Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie when Banjo Tooie gives no indication that anything of this nature happened between the two games. Like, the the escalating continuity of Banjo-Kazooie to Banjo-Tooie separated with the story and world expansion from another team at Rare entirely. Like, it sounds like a terrible idea that could have just wrecked <laughs> the canon of Banjo-Kazooie. But not only does it work, it's somehow, to me makes both Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie all the richer for it. I agree. I, t- I totally agree. And and that's no easy task. It, it's like, you know, painting over a Da Vinci or, or you know, what what was that art restoration? In, was it Spain where there was that, um, like, fresco of Jesus that uh, somebody <laughs> tried to restore and made made him look like a monkey man? Oh my god, I forgot about that. Uh, oh, that that hurts. That 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 is hilarious but also hurts to think about. Yeah, so it, it it could have been that, but it wasn't. And I I think it took them a while to figure out how to do this elegantly. And and they tried because like you said, it, this plot evolved numerous times in Granny's Revenge de- development because Granny's Revenge actually started development all the way back in 1999, the year Donkey Kong 64 was in development, while Banjo Tooie was still in development. They started. That's crazy. They started Granny's Revenge on the Game Boy Color when it was originally called Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Curse. And, you know. We, we, we could get in the ins and outs of Grunny's Curse and how it differs from Grunny's Revenge, but I would like to read the story to Grunty's Curse just to kind of set the stage on how they eventually took it to Grunty's Revenge. I would love nothing more than to hear you say that with that mouth. Uh, I will. I will. My, my non-pollinated mouth right now, because it's autumn here <laughs> and not spring. So this is the um, document for 
what they called Banjo-Kazooie GBC. It's from August 10th, 1999, 12 days before DK Vine launched. They wrote, wow. they wrote up this nonsense. So, <laughs> uh, th- th- this is like, uh, from the design document packets that were released online several years ago. What's the story? Recreate the end of Banjo, referring to Banjo-Kazooie, in a scene or in text conversation. A few years have passed and... The calm of a holiday on a farm was just what Banjo, Kazooie, Bottles, and Mumbo needed as they reflect on their battle with the wicked hag Gruntilda. Tootie is away having an adventure of her own elsewhere. Kazooie wondered how much Gruntilda was enjoying herself under the rock. I don't (laughs) think old Warty Whiskers is having this much fun. As our friends relax, things are afoot on Spiral Mountain. Oh, you know how much I love feet. (laughs) Klungo has returned from the lair in the Flying Cauldron. What the fuck is the Flying Cauldron? And he's got something (laughs) to save Grunty. Klungo drops the metal Mecha Grunty from the Flying Cauldron. Aha! Take on me... No. Aha! (laughs) shouts Grunty, and her ghost leaves the pit under the rock and seeps into the metal monster. The camera moves to a close-up on the metal Grunty as its eyes flash to life, and Grunty cackles with delight. Thank you, Klingo. I was tired of eating worms. Man, she's not even trying to rhyme in this one. <laughs> she, she even forgot the quotation marks there. She's just... <laughs> Man, I, I'll i cut her some slack. She's been under a rock. She's, yeah, I know. Dwayne Johnson is a passionate lover. <laughs> the scene changes back to our friends relaxing at the farm. A shadow looms over them, and they feel a chill. Looking like a twisted device of torture. It's the metal mecha granny. Gr- oh no. Oh no. Grunty freezes the group to the spot and greets them with a curse. Beating me, it was a first. Your just reward will be my curse. There she goes. It's kind of a rhyme, not really a rhyme. <laughs> yeah, a slant rhyme. Yeah. She's getting there. She's getting the worms out of her mouth. That's what's happening here. <laughs> She's spitting them out. She's, she, her rhymes are improving. The, the less wiggling little fellas are in her hole. Yeah, her, her worm meter is slowly going down. Mumbo, since you helped this pair, the worst of luck will be your share. There she goes. <laughs> Bottles is transformed into a funny creature as a Opposed to and is unable to help banjo yeah what was he before yeah your wormy breath i know too well what everybody's got worms in their mouth in this one <laughs> it's the it's the latest fad of 1999 dustin <laughs> everybody was eating the worm that cram year. your gullet with with your ground friends um 
Okay, your wormy breath I know too well. I'll give you four eyes with this spell. I guess she literally gave him four eyes rather than uh, <laughs> the lingo of somebody wearing glasses being Yeah, that, that seems like a weird curse. That sounds like she's helping him. Yeah, I'm actually making your nickname literal here. <laughs> You're going to be able to see twice as well now. Grunty hypnotizes Kazooie and changes her into her new partner. Kazooie, come to Grunty's roost. To be my wings, you'll need a boost. Banjo will be forced to fight his friend if he is to save bottles. Stupid bear to save your friend, you'll have to fight us to the end. Man, he, he, he really has to save bottles. His plight sounds so awful. <laughs> Mumbo breaks loose from Mecha Grunty's gaze and chases after her as she and the monster Kazooie make their exit. Mumbo tries in vain to stop them, but with every step he takes his luck. But with every step he takes, his luck gets worse. Okay, they they forgot a comma in there, and it, I didn't understand how. This is not gonna. Their grade is not gonna be very high on this one. No, I want to take a red pen to this. <laughs> See me after class. Out of thin air, his bad luck rains down on him. First, a black cat covers his face. Then, <laughs> blinded, he runs straight under a ladder. And as the cat jumps away, a mirror lands on him and lays him out in the broken glass. This sounds like a farce uh, at this point. I was going to say, wow, Gruntilda went all in on the slapstick here. Mumbo gets up with a bandage on his head. He, <laughs> he can't remember his spells. Oopsie doodles. Oh, no. <laughs> All he knows is Banjo will have to find a few magic ingredients to return bottles to normal. In the years since they first fought, Banjo has forgotten all of his moves. How will we learn them again with bottles in his condition? Banjo will have to find bottles old man. He may be as blind as a bat, but the old curmudgeon taught bottles everything he knew. At the end of the game, Banjo catches up with Grunty again back at Spiral Mountain. They have their big face-off, and the improved Mecha Grunty is destroyed. As the others rejoice, Grunty's ghost sinks back into the hole under the rock, only this time her body has turned to Pile of Bones! The end? Pile of Bones? Question mark. <laughs> So I also like how they just basically yada yada the whole game, uh, and and then and then the game happens, and then that this the end. Yeah, you know, eventually you get it, you get it. Eventually, he wins. We'll figure it out. We'll 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 make it up as we go along. <laughs> but you you can see though, yeah. um, e even though they probably didn't even really know what Banjo Tooie was going to entail, they tried to make some room for what the Banjo Tooie team were doing there by basically saying, "Oh, okay," and then Grunny's Grunny's a skeleton at the end, and I guess Banjo Tooie can happen after this. Yeah, uh, it it's interesting. There's no time travel involved. No. Um, it it sounds would this game have just been a banjo solo game? It it I wonder. Sounds like like it. I wonder if it would have been like Grunty's Revenge, where you save Kazooie. Or it it sounds like the point is 
Kazooie has been turned into Gruntilda's partner. Yeah. That that's a concept that can carry its own game. Yeah, it, you you have to fight um a, a, a monster Kazooie. It's similar to like when you had to fight Amber in Grab by the Ghoulie. She's been ghoulified, yeah. and you have to get a cure for her. And th- there there there's little like threads of stuff that would wind up in the final Grunty's Revenge, but also stuff that reminds me of later rare games as well. But you know what my favorite part of of that story was? What's that? So it it it's so Kazooie gets taken by Gruntilda. Yeah. Turned into her partner turned into a monster Kazooie. But in this little bit of story it says Banjo has to save poor bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kazooie's just a bonus, I guess, but we can't this franchise is over if Bottles is a little four-eyed creature. Meanwhile, the Banjo Tooie team were snickering because they were just going to straight up kill him at the beginning of the game. <laughs> yeah, they're like laughing. Oh, yeah, you better make sure Bottles is okay. And I, I think this version was going to be more of a 2D um, like platformer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't. I wish we could have seen it. I mean, we, we've seen some sprites, we've seen some artwork online. I, I like. I think this is interesting, but I don't really lament losing this version of the game, just because oh, definitely. I adore what we actually got. And this is a case where, you know, sometimes leaving something in the oven to cook a little bit longer is beneficial to the final product. Yeah. It, it's, it's not like the Diddy Kong pilot situation where it just goes back and forth so much that eventually they just want to be done with it. Like this actually aged like a finer wine. Um, yeah. Cause production halted on the game boy color version, like relatively soon after, like they didn't get that far with this. And Banjo Tooie, of course did come out first. However, when Nintendo revealed the game boy advance, Rare was like, we got to get in on this. And they got back to work on (laughs) Grunty's Curse, reformulating it as what became Grunty's Revenge. And because Tui was already out at the time, they hit upon a different angle to make it work. Uh, Instead of it being something that takes place before, since Tui was already out, they didn't want to pull that card because they thought it might be confusing. So they thought, right. what if Grunty's Revenge... They thought that might be confusing. So they thought, what if Grunty's Revenge is a parallel timeline in which Grunty's sisters never came to rescue her, causing the events to play out differently? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that really worked out for Zelda. Everyone loves that. Yeah, th- this this is basically the Marvel what-if scenario. Like, oh, okay, but but what if Mingella and Blah Belda... Uh, just had something better to do. What then? <laughs> like, what would be the story of Banjo Tooie then? Which you know is interesting, but when we get so few Banjo Kazooie games as is, I don't need to start exploring the multiverse of possibilities when I really just yeah. want to catch up with you know Banjo Prime essentially. <laughs> yeah, I- exactly. I feel like it would have been a huge shame. Then people would have a reason to just not ever play Grunty's Revenge. Right, because it's not canon to the main timeline. It w- yeah. I mean, I, we were interested by the notion of DK Vine, but I I think it was kind of cushioned because of just the sheer litany of DKU games we got announced at that show. 
like, you know, we had Donkey Kong Racing, so whatever. Oh, Parallel Universe Banjo Kazooie, sure. What? Just add it to the list, sure. Whatever. Yeah, we we. You guys didn't know that you weren't going to get that many Banjo-Kazooie games. <laughs> right, because we, we thought we were still going to get, you know, Banjo-Kazooie on the GameCube. We, like, we, we we thought, like, the future was just made in the shade. Like, we, we, we didn't... Yeah, we didn't, move, move over, Mario. <laughs> we didn't know that the turmoil of the buyout era lay ahead, so... It was just kind of fun, and like, having all of these different angles that the DKU was taking, but... Eventually, they hit upon a more elegant middle ground that I think works best. Yeah. Uh, because enough time had passed since 2E came out by the time Granny's Revenge actually you know, had a chance of seeing release that they didn't really have to worry about players getting confused with the chronology. It had been, you know, when, when Granny's Revenge was released, it had almost been three years in real time since 2E came out. So who the hell cares? <laughs> right. Right. So they could just make it a firm mid-quill, and they could then make sure things are put back exactly into place for Banjo-Tooie to still have happened exactly as we remembered, with only one or two minor hiccups, like continuity things that make you think like, well, wait, does that really work? It, it's minor, but there are a couple things in there that are a little bit questionable, but a little squelchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you can see it where they pared down some things from Grunty's Curse. Like they did separate Banjo and Kazooie, but you get Kazooie back in the second world, a uh, Briegel Beach, and then she's with Banjo yeah. for the rest of the game, which is still bold, I think, to to basically take Kazooie away from Banjo for the entire first world. Like that that's interesting storytelling in a banjo kazooie game. Yeah, I, I I guess I would have been fine either way. I I feel like if if you had Gruntilda kidnap Kazooie and she's just gone for the whole game, that's an interesting angle to do. But also just something like this, you know, I, I don't mind this. I like having Kazooie for most of the game. Yeah, like, I, I like solo banjo. Uh, l- let me rephrase that. I like solo banjo in principle. In, in execution, it's kind of a slog. But. Yeah. It, it harkens back to Diddy Kong Racing before his partnership with Kazooie began, but I do prefer the pair as a pair, you know? Yeah, it, it at least gives some stakes. Yeah. It, it does. Now, we, we should explain to the layperson what the actual plot of Grunty's Revenge ended up being and i want you to do that dustin just on the spot i didn't prepare any notes on this because i want to hear it from you i want to have somebody describe to me what the plot of grunty's revenge actually is okay well it's it's not that much different from grunty's curse it's it's a little it's a little because they added time travel yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little different in that the entire concept of the game is different. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's two months after the first game. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, also important. It's only two months. Like we we talk about it being a midquel as if it was this halfway mark. It only takes place two months after Banjo Kazooie. So like it, it's um like late August, nineteen ninety eight. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, same, same sort of beginning. Klungo comes in with the Mecha Grunty, uh, 
Grunty casts a spell to put her ghost inside of the robot. She kidnaps Kazooie. She doesn't do anything to Mumbo. There's no bad luck or anything like that. Bottles is not even here. He's not even a presence in this. Um, so Mumbo sends you back in time. I is is that how it goes? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Mumbo. Yeah, so uses his magic to send you back after Mumbo apparently just happens to know a time travel spell, which you think would be a dangerous <laughs> thing to like dangerous arcane knowledge. But Gruntilda also knows time travel. So right. Fight fire with fire. It's like, well, this is the only way you're going to stop this. You you would think this would lead to some sort of like massive time war in the DKU that would just render the entire fabric of space time irrelevant and just lead to the end of all things. But thankfully, they just realized maybe we shouldn't time travel anymore, and they stopped after this. <laughs> yeah, even Gruntilda was like, you know what, that was that was kind of messed up. Maybe I shouldn't like do this. It's also worth pointing out that the way time travel is portrayed via the spell, it, it seems to be a case where you could theoretically change the past. Like, this isn't one yeah. of those things where you're creating a branch timeline or it's the whatever happened happened philosophy where you do time travel, but that time travel has always been accounted for in the history. Yeah. Of, it, it's just always been part of the, t- uh, part of this timeline, which for, for the record, like the smash brothers form of time travel with the, of course, chest of time. I think that is a, whatever happened happened form of time travel where this is very much, we could potentially change history time travel now whether or not that's just branching the characters into a separate timeline and they don't realize it i don't know but i i think the implied logic that that rare is presenting is they can change history with this very like dangerous spell that's probably forbidden right yeah so uh gruntilda kidnaps kazooie mumbo sends banjo back in time uh he meets up with Bazai Bottles. It, he's his, is he his grandfather or is he just referred to as like relative? I, I think he's just referred to as relative. So in Grunty's Curse, he's referred to as Bottles Old Man. But in true Cranky Kong fashion, they made it far more ambiguous in the yeah. final product. Uh, he, he's either his grandfather or some great uncle. We, we're never really clear how Bazai relates to Bottles. But yeah, Bottles doesn't appear... Uh, at all in, in Grunty's Revenge. It's just Bazai, this old man who lives back in 1978. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. If if you're going to have Bazai teach you your moves, what do you even need a bottle sprite for? Um, But yeah, then you go through your little worlds, you save Kazooie at Briegel Beach, uh, do your little Banjo-Kazooie song and dance, until you eventually make your way to Gruntilda, stop her, save the day. She goes back under the rock um, to wait for uh, Mangella and Blabelda. And then they all have a good time. <laughs> Was, is that right? That's how it went, that, That's right? basically it, yeah. Now, I do have some questions. My one criticism of this plot is that the time travel okay. is kind of pointless, yeah, you don't you don't need time travel. None of these locations are like 
set to the time period. They could just be locations in this world. So there are a couple instances where you meet past versions of characters. I think only one big one, but it, like, I feel like they, they came up with the time travel element and maybe I'm way off base here, but I feel like they came up with it for a big reason is then you can portray Spiral Mountain vastly differently than it is in Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. If you say it's 20 years in the past, then it can basically be whatever you want it to be and it doesn't impact the N64 games at all. Yeah. And, And that's, I think, the biggest reason they went down this route now, the the plot doesn't really make much sense because you think, okay, Grunty's going to go back in time and she's going to make it so Banjo and Kazooie never meet. But that doesn't really come up. There's this whole thing where she's enslaved Briegels. And, uh-huh. and, and, and that might be like, if, if I can like get the Briegel population under control, Kazooie's never born. But then you've already kidnapped Kazooie, so I, I don't Yo. know. <laughs> Yeah, what's the what's the point of kidnapping Kazooie in the in the present? I guess to make it harder for Banjo to then save Kazooie in the past, both literally save her in the past and save her very existence. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a little like they lose the plot pretty quickly. Even you know, it, it's yeah. it's not it's not a great work of literature, let's just say. But it it does <laughs> allow for some fun set pieces, and like I said, it does this great little balancing act where yes it is chronology in the chronology for banjo and kazooie and grunty it's a midquel but it's effectively a banjo kazooie prequel in the world of spiral mountain because we get a glimpse of what spiral mountain in the year 1978 entailed and that helps us better understand the struggles of the characters in the late nineties and early aughts. Right. And and so I think that is like, I'm never going to say, Oh, they shouldn't have time traveled because so much of the lore and the joy that lore hounds can derive from this game is all thanks to that conceit. So yeah, I mean, I like seeing uh, some of these younger versions of characters. I think I think it's still fun. Yeah, I I, w- I wish like just like in Banjo Two Way, I wish like the plot would have come up a little bit more. Like Grunty's got this life force sucking machine in Banjo Two but then after like the very early parts of the game, it's just forgotten about until the very end. I I yeah. wish the threat of her like altering the past came into play a lot more. Than it does. Like they basically give up after the second world, and then it just becomes a standard romp, a standard banjo kazooie romp, just in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you can only do so much with like, like if it constantly cut back to Gruntilda being like, "Yep, it's still charging up." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think they, they could have yeah, utilized it as a set piece in Tui a little bit more, and, and in this game, she could have like threatened to, I, I don't know, like slit chimpy kong's throat <laughs> jesus oh, no, Christ. no 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 that like maybe chimpy's father or something like <laughs> yeah that should have been the plot of the game i'm gonna go back in time and make it so chimpy kong was never born and then you'll never get your third jiggy 
<laughs> your third one. Not <laughs> or, or maybe your second. Just put an end. Know. Yeah. Just put it. Put an end to that adventure real fast. So that's the plot, basically. It's it's a mid-quel, That's a prequel. <laughs> Grunny's Revenge was credited to the following names at Rare, and these are just the ones that had official credits in the in the game itself. Now, some of these names will be familiar to listeners of the conversation, and some of them may not. It's not often that I can easily read an entire team that made a game rather quickly because it's a small bunch of people. So I'm just going to do it because I feel like people deserve credit. Yeah. Uh, so Dermot Fanning, Ryan Furchow, Pete Hentz, uh, Desmond Hinkson, Gavin Hood, which sounds like if Gavin Price like robbed from the rich and gave to the poor, he would be Gavin Hood. <laughs> uh, Jamie Hughes, Chris P- Pigas, Pigas, Paul Rom, and Ryan Stevenson. Now, when when I acknowledged Grunny's Revenge Turn Twenty the other week. Uh, Jamie Hughes actually uh, quote tweeted me on Blue Sky. Uh, get that Blue Sky invite from your friends. Uh, this is this is what he had to say. The first game I worked on at Rare. Having never worked on a game before, I wrongly assumed there would be a team of audio people on the project. I managed to somehow <laughs> put some semblance of a soundtrack together. I like it. I like the soundtrack for that game. It's a great soundtrack. I was so happy when Rare turned 35. They did this digital uh, like compilation from their entire history and mm-hmm. they they would like typically do like one song per game, maybe maybe two songs. Uh Granny's Revenge got in there. And it was really great to hear that. I think it was Spiller's Harbor was was the song they picked for it. But yeah, yeah, great uh, pick too. I love that music. It's not often we get to hear Banjo Kazooie music, uh, sans Grant Kirkhope. So yeah. I, I thought Jamie Hughes did a great job with this. It, it it's, agreed. Um, just a really fun, like in the spirit of Banjo Kazooie. It, it kind of reminds me of, like. The Donkey Kong Land soundtrack, the original songs from Donkey Kong Land, how they did their own thing, but it was still evocative of Donkey Kong music. So, yeah, it was still very fitting. Yeah, yeah. Now, we also have special thanks. We had the Stampers, Simon Farmer, Greg Mails, and Paul Makachek all getting special thanks. And I don't know how much they individually contributed to the game. I know Paul Makachek's fingerprints are all over the handheld team. And I know Greg Mails probably solicit like pro- they probably solicited him for ideas and he probably gave them. I mean, he's the big idea man at rare at all times, even for games in which he's not properly credited. So I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Mails said, Oh, you know, you should, you should, you should do this and you should do that. And they were like, thanks, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I don't think their influence can be dismissed outright. And yeah. uh, among those on the testing side, uh, friend of DK Vine, Chris Alcock, and well, the what up, Chris? What up? And the inspiration behind Conquerors Pocket Tales, Forrest Wong, David Wong. 
So uh, some big names there on the QA side. Dustin, what I love about Grunny's Revenge, though, beyond beyond the plot, which is ludicrous, <laughs> beyond the fan service, beyond the lore, beyond but just be, beyond all the little jokes that they've put in. Or, or yeah, like, yeah. Don't worry. It it gets even better than a uh, time travel plot that doesn't quite come together. <laughs> what I love about it is how it somehow perfectly recreates Banjo Kazooie's structure as a top down experience. Yeah. You wouldn't think this would be able to work as well as it does. Now, Grunny's Revenge is often compared to Conker's Pocket Tales, but Pocket Tales uses that top-down style to basically do a riff on traditional Zelda games. And don't worry, I'm not equating Pocket Tales to any Zelda game. Like, please <laughs> don't like yell at me in the comments. How dare you? I... You know, I, I somehow doubt Pocket Tales was trying to emulate what Twelve Tales was going to be, and I, I do like Pocket Tales for what it is, but I recognize Pocket Tales is, you know, sort of a flawed, messy game. Right. Uh, but it's a it's a flawed game that means quite a lot to me. But Grunny's Revenge somehow recreates the experience of a 3D platformer, and a 3D platformer we all know really well. In this top-down style, it, it has to do things differently for sure, but it's able to do it in a way that, for my money, really does feel like you're playing a Banjo-Kazooie game proper. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think it's uh, pretty commendable the job they did to make it just feel like a Banjo-Kazooie game. They they didn't cut any corners. You got musical notes, you've got Jinjos, you've got Jiggies, you've got Mumbo transformations, you even got bosses, which is something the original Banjo Kazooie didn't really have a lot of. But here in each yeah. world, you got like a boss fight, and uh, I I I just really really like how it, it does feel like a proper handheld counterpart to Banjo-Kazooie, which in 1998, I wouldn't have thought that to be possible. Not in the same way like Donkey Kong Land is a handheld counterpart to Donkey Kong Country. That makes sense because you're just able to translate the 2D gameplay on a smaller scale. Here, they're able to pull off something that you like feasibly wouldn't have been possible until the Nintendo DS, at the very least, but they're, they're, they're able to do it in a completely different format that still feels like you're playing the real deal. And I love yeah, it. I, I feel like not not every game is successful in doing that either. Like uh Freezer points out in, in the in the chat, the Spyro ones, I hear I heard those were pretty good, but they just never like felt the same. Uh Banjo, it it they did a great job of uh, translating it over to the Game Boy Advance, I would never have thought they would be able to. I look at something like Crash Bandicoot, where they those Game Boy Advance Crash Bandicoot games are good, but they they are not really the same as the console crashes because they're they're not 3D. They're just uh, side scrollers, which right. which is fine. It it works. It it's evocative of the Crash games, but it, it's obviously different. Banjo, uh, it's crazy they were able to do this. That's why Grunny's Curse, I don't mourn it that much, because that's basically what yeah. it would have been. And I'm sure it would have been neat to have a 2D 
Banjo-Kazooie. But I don't really need a 2D Banjo-Kazooie. And, and maybe that's hypocritical of me because I want 3D Donkey Kong and 2D Donkey Kong. <laughs> but I think because Banjo-Kazooie was born of the 3D platformer world, I don't need to necessarily, like, go down a peg with it. Yeah. Uh, like, it, I, I'd still be curious to see, like, if, if it somehow ended up being, like, a game they actually did get pretty far with. I, I know it's not, but, like, if just one day out of the blue we saw... Oh, here's Gruntilda's Curse, uh, 99% finished before scrapped. I would be, I'd still be super interested in seeing how, how they were planning on doing it. Like, translating Banjo from a 3D game to a 2D side-scroller, that is crazy to think about. But, at the end of the day, I, it is a good call that we got what we got. Considering we've gotten so few Banjo-Kazooie games over the years, like, if Banjo-Kazooie was this big, robust, even on the level of Crash Bandicoot, right, or Spyro, if we, if we were getting regular games, then sure, a, a dalliance with 2D platforming might be a fun little thing, but since, since we have only gotten a handful of Banjo-Kazooie games. I'm glad this is the big handheld adventure we got. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, what I really love about it, just just beyond the structure, just beyond how they were able to recreate the magic in a different format, is that it is, as I said, the Dead Sea Scroll to Banjo-Kazooie and, and, and to this whole corner of the DKU. Because you get a Spiral Mountain history lesson. And I didn't realize until I played Grunny's Revenge how much I needed this. Because, let me let me explain. In the three big franchises of the DKU, which are Donkey Kong, Banjo-Kazooie, and Conqueror, the classical three. Right. Um, the history of Donkey Kong Island, along with like all of the territory that the Kremlins used to claim as their own, the Kremlantis Empire, you know, Crocodile Isle, the Northern Kremisphere. The history of that has been explored, at the very least, through the contextual storytelling seen in the games. Like, they, they, they've never done this big history deep dive game for Donkey Kong, but you, you, you get a story told to you in background details and dialogue. Like, much of it is rooted in the backstory of the Kremlins, but it was further fleshed out even when Retro took over the reins for a few years and we got, like, the Tiki Tech tribe and a little bit more into the history of Donkey Kong Island. I feel like I have a good grasp on what the history entails there. And Conqueror's Bad Fur Day uh, also spun an absurdly detailed history for the Panther Kingdom, you know, going into the Milk Wars and and all of that nonsense. I mean, it, it's it's a farce, but it's still a history nonetheless. And, yeah. you know, that the Panther Kingdom is the area of Willow Woods in which all Conquer games since Bad Fur Day have taken place. You know, all of them. Live and Reloaded and, and, and Conquer's Big Reunion and, and Young Conquer, all of them. Yeah. But but we never really knew much about Spiral Mountain itself or how it connects to the broader struggle between Banjo and Kazooie and their allies and the Winky Bunyan family. And that's what Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge did by 
having us arbitrarily time travel to 1978, we saw a spiral mountain in the throes of change, going from a classical spiral mountain we never knew to the spiral mountain we would come to know in 1998 in Banjo-Kazooie. And this includes a completely different layout. Like I said, them doing this time travel thing really allowed them to show a spiral mountain that was not necessarily consistent with the N64 games. It allowed them to just basically make their own spiral mountain and and say, well, this is the way it was in 1978 before Grintilda landscaped it. (laughs) But this... Yeah, can you believe there used to be a farm here? Well, there are world portals that are accessed outside of the mountain layer, just like there are portals to these realms in Grunty's layer, as opposed to, you know, Banjo-Tooie and the Isle of Hags, which is, that's just the Isle of Hags, right? You just go to Hailfire Peaks or Pterodactyl Land, and it's just part of the island. These are a little bit more nebulous. Some people will argue, no, no, Gobi's Valley is actually, like, just outside of Grunty's lair, well, some will argue there are portals to these, like, pocket dimensions or something. Um, right. But they, they utilize the portal style with Grunty's Revenge, and we've got portals outside of the mountain. So we've got Cliff Farm, we've got Bregal Beach, we've got Bad Magic Bayou, love that name, Spiller's Harbor, and Freezing Furnace. And the big shocking revelation in Grunty's Revenge is that Spiral Mountain used to be the home to the Jinjos. Oh my goodness. But before the home we visit in Banjo-Tooie, the Jinjos claim Spiral Mountain as their home valley. In fact, King Jingling held court in the mountain before Gruntilda kicked him and them out and made it her lair. And and there's this, like, Rare is so good at layering all of this backstory just into art direction. Like... Yeah, uh, environmental storytelling. Yes. And if you're, like, observant enough, I don't want to say clever enough. I was about to say clever enough, and I was like, that maybe that's giving me too much credit, us too much credit. Say, <laughs> oh, we're so clever. We, we understand the intricacies of Banjo-Kazooie lore. But <laughs> it, it is, it is environmental storytelling. Uh, Dustin, one of the great moments of my career as a Hong Kong journalist was meeting Pete Hentz for the first time at E3 2015 and striking up a conversation about Grunty's revenge with him. And you, you could tell nobody has ever approached this this lovely man about his work on Grunty's Revenge up until this moment in his life. And and his face actually lit up. Like, I get to talk about Grunty's Revenge with a stranger. What is happening here? <laughs> and and just, just talking to him about all the little like little decisions he made, like putting a lava lamp in, in Mumbo's house to signify that it was the <laughs> late 70s. It, it was great. But like, yeah, there's just so like um 
so many great details in this. And, and Ryan Stevenson also worked on Granny's Revenge. You know, it was a, cl- I, I don't know who's responsible for the giant king jingling head that Gruntilda has knocked off the mountainside to replace with her own head, but it, it is just this amazing detail. It's covered in like kudzu. Um, so it's like clearly, <laughs> it's clearly been up there for a long time and, and it's just been displaced. And you can like jump on it and walk around, and it like King Jingling is never brought up in this game except for this little detail. Yeah, I love it, and they don't need to beat you over the head with it. They don't need to have a character come out and say, "Yes, this used to be the home of King Jingling," and blah blah blah. It's it's just something for you to find and and appreciate. I like that rare trust its fans to put these details together. Yeah. It it really does make me like it's it's why I've always felt seen by Rare even like before DK Vine when I was just like trying to piece together the errant lore of Donkey Kong and and Diddy Kong Racing and by, by the way there are a lot of like political machinations over giant mountain heads in the DKU. Have you noticed this? I have not noticed. Well, well Gruntilda like replaces King Jingling's head on Grunty's lair. Whizpig. There's the Whiz, Whizpig and Taj. Whizpig and Taj go back and forth. Uh, K. Rool blows the Donkey Kong face off Donkey Kong Island. That's true. There's a lot, lot, lot of it going on. So, yeah, I think this adds some serious pathos to the Jinjos that maybe didn't exist before or wasn't earned before. Because in Banjo Kazooie in the instruction manual, I don't, I think it's explained that Gruntilda is targeting the Jinjos just because they're like cute or like they're carefree, they're peace loving or something. And she, she doesn't like it because she's evil. <laughs> and she's, they're like peace loving or something. But, but, but here it becomes the story of they were the indigenous population of Spiral Mountain and she comes in. And and makes it her lair and forces get, get them out. Get these colorful freaks out of here. Yeah, so so it it adds some kind of like historical weight to it, like pulling from the the shame of of human history into this colorful cartoon world and makes you hate Gruntilda a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> I, I, I I like that. Uh, they have that big Jinjo Oracle. Yeah, we'll we'll get into fun. we'll get into her in a little little bit here. Um. Oh, I'm jumping the gun. You, I'm you're, sorry. you're just, you're, yeah. Hold on. I know. I'm just so excited about Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge. I know it's about time travel, but don't get ahead of me. <laughs> also, you, you know who else used to call Spiral Mountain their home? Oh my goodness, who used to do that? Uh, not anybody, but the biggest cult leader. In the DKU. I'm talking about Master Jiggy Wiggy and the Temple of Jiggy Wiggy. Oh my god, everyone's favorite character. Yeah, he, his temple used to be in Spiral Mountain as well before Gruntilda presumably drove him out. And, and it, it makes sense because both the Jinjos and Jiggy Wiggy sort of wound up being relative neighbors to each other, um, you know, on the Isle of Hags. So it makes sense that they like made this exodus together after Gruntilda took control in Spiral Mountain and just became too much of an overbearing presence. Yeah. So... Um, it, it, it's interesting. 
I don't know what I was going to say was interesting. I don't think these guys are that interesting. I like them in Tui, but, you know, they just kind of serve the same purpose in this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that he did incorporate Master Jiggy Wiggy into this when you don't really need him. Um, but but yeah. it's an interesting set piece nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I like that they're there rather than just having something boring to for the for the jiggies like yeah i i like the jiggy paintings in one but if they just did that here i would be a little disappointed it's also harder to do i, I like having a content it's also harder to do jiggy paintings probably out in the open elements versus gruntilda's hallways yeah exactly and yes honeybee uh Banjo Tui character Honeybee, you know, she who makes the honey. Uh, she she uh, <laughs> she used to live in Spiral Mountain too. Weirdly enough, who I I would never have guessed that because I wouldn't have thought to. Right, and and like who would have thought that Honeybee was uh, like an adult woman in, in 1978, like 22 years before you meet her in Banjo Tui. Like she's older than yeah. she looks in Banjo Tui. <laughs> yeah, she she ages gracefully. She is, yeah. Um it's it's all the honey, it's all the stickiness. It keeps your skin moisturized. Yeah, I I I think most bees what's the average lifespan for a bee? I don't look this stuff up cuz it depresses me cuz then every time I see a bee I'm <laughs> okay. going to be sad. <laughs> you you do not have much time left, little fella. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that whatever magic is imbued in Honeybee that makes her, you know, a, a tall, lanky bee person, uh, it all it also makes her age far longer than the average honeybee. Yeah, it gives her immortality. Well, not immortality. Like I, hey, we don't know that. I, I, I hope she could be immortal. I hope she dies someday. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I guess so too. And yes, as we said, Gruntilda began her operations in Spiral Mountain in 1978, 20 years before Banjo-Kazooie, reconfiguring the Jinjo mountainside into her lair. It's not complete yet, but it's under construction. And the biggest and most blatant, perhaps inelegant, retcon to existing Banjo-Kazooie lore at the time was that uh, Grunty's Revenge reinterprets the relationship between Gruntilda and Mumbo Jumbo. So in- instead of Gruntilda being Mumbo's pupil who um, betrayed him when-, when she went to the dark side, as Banjo-Kazooie, the-, the instruction manual, tells us, Mumbo is presented in Grunty's Revenge as a novice shaman who's just starting out and isn't that great at at the spells and and what have you. And in my mind, this can be reconciled a couple different ways. Perhaps Mumbo still tried to train Gruntilda in his youthful hubris and, you know, that, that ended poorly for him. Or maybe... Instead of what Banjo-Kazooie made us believe, uh, perhaps Mumbo and Gruntilda shared the same teacher, and Gruntilda then betrayed the both of them, still disfiguring Mumbo's face in the process. I don't know. 
I could buy that. There's some relationships still between them, but our, our understanding of Mumbo was that, you know, he was already experienced at, at the magic when Gruntilda found him and Grunty's Revenge shows. Well, that's plainly not the case. Yeah. So, Grunty's Revenge, as we already established, has quite a few returning characters from Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. Although, is it a returning character from Banjo-Tooie if this game takes place before Banjo-Tooie? Yeah, or, or is this a debut appearance? Right, a, a retcon debut. But Gruntilda, her name is this in the subtitle, so we, we gotta talk about Gruntilda. Just like Banjo-Tooie introduces a skeletal Gruntilda, Grunty's Revenge gives us Mecha Grunty, which is probably the most unique take on Gruntilda in all of these games. I was going to say, it's quite a departure. Because like, it, it still looks enough like Gruntilda that, that you buy it, but, uh, yeah... I, I mean, two is basically the same appearance, except she's bones. This one is pretty different. She's got all that like metal on her, and, <laughs> right? And well, buttons and knobs. It's her soul in a robot body, which I love that little yeah. detail. Which that detail was there from Grunty's Curse. They re- they really like that idea, but yeah, it, it, it's the most stark makeover for Gruntilda. And like when you look at the DKU baddies who do change and alter their appearance or persona from game to game like your k rule like your gruntilda like your capital b i think mecha grunty is far and away the most um, just complete rethinking of what she looks like but she still i mean she still looks like gruntilda it's gruntilda in a robot body this would be this would be a great banjo pilot tour variant if if we were ever to get that mobile game, oh, definitely. That would I I wish it's got to happen someday. What's interesting about the render is that th- this might be an artifact of the alternate reality plot. the The render has her robot body marked Hag One. Yeah, and of course the Hag One was the digger module that her sisters came to rescue her in now this has some design nods to the digger module in that her witch's hat is actually a big drill yeah i like i love that drill hat so i i don't know if in the final game if it's supposed to be like the hag one or like this this becomes the digger module that the hag one is like like they they take the robot grunty body and build it into the, the digger that shows up in Banjo Tooie, or if if we're just not supposed to see the Hag One at all, and like it doesn't exist in the final game, and this is just a render that is an artifact of that plot. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, with the graphics on Game Boy Advance, there's no way you could even tell right. that it would say Hag One. And and uh, this this render is also the best render Grunty's Revenge has yeah, to offer. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, it only goes downhill from here. You can tell this. Was, I, I love them. You can but. tell this was made earlier than the others because it's of a higher quality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at those feet. She's got she's got little robot toes. 
<laughs> like, I didn't even think about that before. She's she's got little little robot like nails, like like sharp little sticky nails that that are like jutting out. It's a great little touch. Yeah, what what's to be gained from that? Why does Klungo give her those robot toes? It's just because well, it's got to have feet, and feet got toes. Got to have sex appeal. <laughs> yeah, you know we we want this grunty to be appealing to people. When I look. At a robot witch, I have to ask, am I going to get aroused? <laughs> yeah, a little something for daddy. Once once we check that box, then we can move on to this less important details. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I also love, you don't see it too often. I you, you actually see it more than you would think, but it's Gruntilda's ghost design. It, it, it appears, like, in the beginning when she transplants her spirit. She astral projects her own soul out of her body that's trapped under the boulder into the robot shell. But then when Banjo and Kazooie are fighting Mecha Grunty throughout the game, they they will occasionally knock her soul out of it and can attack her soul. <laughs> and I just love the design of this. It's basically, like, a purple spirit with a little, like, ghost tail. Yeah, I, I I love that her spirit is already a skeleton. Yes, yeah, it shows how fast she was decomposing underneath that rock. Yeah, she's already done. It's been two months. <laughs> two months without food. Like, she's able to preserve herself use, using magic, you know, but, yeah, she she's basically, like, biologically dead at this point. Yeah. Gruntilda's a, Gruntilda's a great design. Mecha Grunty is a great design. Klungo who's in this game. I don't know oh, what they were thinking boy. with this Klungo redesign. I, I don't I don't understand what the handheld team was doing with Klungo. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be totally fair. Yeah. In the game, he does look good. His sprite in the game looks a lot better than this render does. <laughs> what What happened, Dustin? What happened? Look at those toes. Ew. I mean, I'm glad he has toes. I'm always glad they have toes. <laughs> yeah. Um but I don't know what my favorite part is. The the toes, uh the gigantic wall eyes or uh how his arm is clipping through his jacket on the right. <laughs> <laughs> What I don't really like, like, the direction they took Klungo post-Banjo-Tooie, like, and this includes nuts and bolts, I don't like that they made him look more inhuman than before. Like, like they, they, like, it was always a little bit ambiguous what Klungo was supposed to be if he was just, like, oh, a, 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 like, a witchy, warlocky human like the Winky Bunions, like, he just had green skin. They they like made him look more like an ogre or a troll man. Like, blah, 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 blah. see, Hyle, I think this is where we're gonna have differing opinions. I always thought he'd just look like a ogre troll man. See, I I just thought he was just a regular guy with green skin who liked to <laughs> leave his lab coat open and let it all hang out. <laughs> yeah, you know who who can blame him when you look that good? Also, Klungo had hair. In Kazooie and two, I keep. I always forget he had hair. And here they just didn't bother. They said, "No, he, he's he's a little goblin monster." To be fair, you really can't see anything behind those gigantic eyes. I yeah. Th- 
like you said, in the game, the sprite looks fine. Yeah. But this render, like, aside from the toes, because, <laughs> you know, st- stick them worms in my mouth. I, 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 Obviously. I don't, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like this clunger today. It's all, also worth pointing out, though, that this is only past Klungo that you fight in Grunty's Revenge. Like, present Klungo shows up. 1998 Klungo shows up. But m- the Klungo you interact with most in Grunty's Revenge is the Klungo from 1978. Yeah, I do always forget that. Klungo, Klungo <laughs> himself does not time travel, which is interesting. I wonder what 1978 Klungo is thinking Considering it's 1998 Gruntilda who's running around in a robot body, Klungo's like, "Wait, what's happening? I, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to make a monster army for 1978 Gruntilda, and now you're showing up 20 years from the future saying you're going to be a robot. Like, should <laughs> should should we just change plans right now? Because it's obviously not going so hot. Yeah, uh, I from the looks of it." Uh... It was not successful the the first time. So Freezer in the live stream says he was always an ogre. Sorry, Heil. <laughs> he was always an ogre. You know, I think we're just shaming ugly men all of a sudden. Oh, he was... <laughs> sorry, sorry. He was always an ogre. I'm like, he might just have green skin and be a little paunchy. <laughs> oh, his ears yeah, jut out a little bit. He just have that big overbite. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got two big teeth sticking out, and he's got slightly pointy ears. I don't think that makes an ogre. <laughs> an ogre that does not make. To be fair, he does look more ogreish than ever here. He, he does. He does. He does. L- look at his. Feet and legs. I know we were already looking at his feet, but yeah. really look at them. His legs, feet, and toes are just made up of a bunch of green orbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he spends most of his time hanging out in a swamp in this game. So, like, m- m- maybe it's just, like, pond scum. That's yeah. He just needs a shower. He, he'll, he'll shower and he'll look like Fabio. <laughs> I, I want that to be in the next game so we talked about Bazai a little bit but it's, it's worth just discussing his character design just for a moment because uh, talking about wonky eyes <laughs> no dungarees this time but yeah uh, he, he doesn't quite earn a song you know, you know the whole the whole bottles family you know that the joke is they're nearsighted because they're moles but right. but Bazai, they take it to the next level in that he has a lazy eye <laughs> and it's just like they make jokes about it as they do you know kazooie is less than tactful when it comes to you know less than perfect physical appearances she's shallow right that way but uh you right know, if someone has any flaws she will be there to point it out which you know had she been turned into a monster maybe that would have showed her some humility <laughs> yeah i guess i i guess now i see what it's like being bazai the mole you're not so hot are you you little briegel <laughs> so the the jinjo oracle is the big jinjo presence in this game and uh, like there, there are Jinjos as like collectibles, but like King Jingling doesn't appear, the Jinjinator doesn't appear. The Jinjo Oracle is kind of the stand-in there, and 
she appears in every world to make this easy. She's a giant statue that I guess her soul possesses. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's like already deceased like long ago, but she is just this ancient um, fountain of wisdom for the Jinjos. And I, you know what, whatever happened to the Jinjo Oracle, because as like, it's, to be assumed that all of these Jinjo statue, Jinjo Oracle statues were like torn down, at least in Spiral Mountain. Like maybe they still exist in Breagle Beach somewhere. You just can't access it easily. But um, yeah, they they kind they kind of uh, thought about the Jinjo Oracle's past deeds and decided it wasn't great to keep the statues up anymore. <laughs> I, I I you know the Jinjo Oracle isn't much of a character, but it's just it's just a little like neat conceit. It's a little nice, colorful world building to have um, another individualistic Jinjo who who might have meant a great deal to the Jinjo culture of decades past. Right. Just, just you know, l- little bit of uh, world-building color there. Uh, the Jinjo Oracle is a lot better of a character, though, than our next one. <laughs> uh, oh, how do boy. I... So, in, in the DK Vine gallery, the caption to this, I believe Matt wrote this one, the caption to this says, a.k.a. Mr. Not-O-Racist-O-Namo, which is a joke because it's yep. totally a racist name. Um, the, the, the name itself is not a slur, so I will say the name. Uh, Mr. Ripofsky. Now, he's a mouse who is, right. who is portrayed uh, as, as somebody of Romani descent. So fill in the blanks what he looks like. I I think had Grunty's Revenge come out like two years after this, they would have said, hey, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. I, 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 it's very much of the time. And, you know, early DK Vine, I can't say we were any better. So I'm not going to fault Rare for right. this. They got better. They learned their lessons. I very much doubt we will ever see Mr. Ripofsky again, although he has appeared more than once. Uh, he, he would show up in Banjo <laughs> Pilot in the background as well. That's true. As well as um, I, I believe Grunty's Revenge. If he's not in the mobile edition, he's definitely in Missions, probably. But um, I will say... At, at the very least, I love that they do show off. Th- th- they do get to have the Grunty's Revenge characters return in pilot. Yes, uh, yes. It, it, ov- overall, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is. It is nice. No, it's not nice. I guess it's a relief as an American to see, um, a racism in one of these games that's not our fault for once. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like this, this is more of a distinctly European faux pas rather than all the garbage that Rare learned from us, our, right. our country. Uh, so that's we were that's, bad influences. That's a relief. Um, th- this one is not uh, the, f- the fall of our ancestors. So, um, whew. no, but um, <laughs> thank God. Uh, th- this 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 uh, little mouse. He's he's running all sorts of scams in several of the wor- worlds. Um, Banjo has to, you know, 
He, he's basically, let, let, let's say he's kind of like Swanky Kong. If Swanky Kong changed up his MO from world to world, just, just host, right. like he, he hosts different mini games and he has different like side hustles going on. You know, like in general, I would like the character if he didn't have those connotations. Right. Yeah. Cause he, he, he could be a fun character if, you know, he didn't suck so much. Down to his bones, but um, <laughs> <laughs> get right down to those those mouse bones. Yeah, yeah. So there are also like like Mumbo's in it, Honeybee's in it. They're they're pretty much as is. Uh, Jiggy Wiggy's in it. Like they're pretty much as is from uh, previous appearances. Mumbo is portrayed as a, a little bit younger, and he's got a seventies pet. Like it's not Mumbo's skull; it's Mumbo's pad. In, in, in this game. <laughs> and he's got like the animal skin carpets and lava lamp and a disco ball comes down. And he's portrayed as a little... Simon Says pad. Yeah, he, he's portrayed as a little bit... Yeah, that's right. Um, but he's portrayed as a little bit hornier. Um, <laughs> it was the 70s. It was the 70s. You know, people had chest hair and gold medallions and they fucked a lot. <laughs> Man, you know what? It, it you can't tell due to the Game Boy Advance hardware. Maybe Mumbo does just have a, a lot of chest hair. It would have been a great touch if instead of his like grass skirt, he just had like grass on his chest. That would be great. Like going down to his pubic region. <laughs> yeah, he's actually nude. <laughs> I said that would be great and I'll stand by it because I've made my bed. <laughs> yeah, you you got to now I'm right there with you. I think it would be a great idea, in quotes. Also, I should just point out right now, the key art for this episode, if you're listening to us on YouTube or SoundCloud, shows the end to Grundy's Revenge. And canonically, it's implied that Mumbo and um, Honeybee hook up at the end of Grundy's Revenge. Good for them. Uh, you you know, know, yeah, like, if you ever wondered, like... If you're ever hosting a bar trivia night and you say, uh, what Banjo-Tooie characters were later to reveal to be um, casual lovers two years before the game took place? Because uh, they, they hook up in 1998, like not even in the 70s. Like after the, the events of the adventure, um, they're just like, all right, well, I guess we'll fuck now. Yeah, and Mumbo's uh, hut is decked out like it was back in the 70s. He was trying to uh, recapture some of that uh, mad sexual glory. Yeah, yeah. He was like, uh, I've got to find my mojo, baby. (laughs) I've lost my mojo. And then he finds it and he makes uh, glorious, glorious love. He copulates with the bee lady. Beautiful. Yeah, it's just, just... I, I bet he was stung horrifically after the fact. <laughs> yeah, it was just like a one-time thing. They both decided, you know what? I don't think this is actually going to work. Yeah, it was a one-night stand just for sheer practicality reasons. <laughs> well, they gave it a try they, at least. They did. They did. You know what? It's it's not about the love that lasts. It's about how the love we find transforms us along the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say about it. Of course, this does create a huge internal inconsistency. This is what I was alluding to earlier. Honeybee shows up in Banjo-Tooie as effectively a new character 
who Banjo and Kazooie don't know. Even though... <laughs> they forgot. Well, even though... Like, it would be one thing if they ran into her in 1978 and she doesn't remember them. But to Banjo and Kazooie, you know, it, it, chrono- in the chronology of their own experiences, it happened to them two years ago and Honeybee showed up outside of Banjo's house in late August 1998. So they should know each other pretty well. Yeah, maybe it's just some time travel amnesia. <laughs> or or maybe, like, you know, she she just reintroduces herself, like, here's what I'm going to do for you. And, um... Or, you know, you know, maybe they just met her that one time in 1998, and they they weren't that well acquainted, and then after, like, their initial introductions or reintroductions, they were like, oh, yeah, we met before. <laughs> Forgot about that. So you kind of have to squint a little bit when it comes to Honeybee's presence in Grunny's Revenge, but otherwise I think it holds up okay-ish. Yeah, it, it it doesn't. Other than that, like like it it doesn't really mess with anything. Master Jiggy Wiggy as well, but I think to a lesser extent because Master Jiggy Wiggy is just a mysterious weirdo as is. Yeah, you know what? He's he's the he's the master Jiggy Wiggy. He probably meets lots of people. He he probably doesn't remember this Baron Bird he met back in the seventies. That's right. And, and how how many how many bears and birds do you think he talks to every day? Hundreds. It is the rare archipelago, so probably, honestly, quite a bit. Exactly. Speaking of Mumbo, though, and and moving away from the topic of his vigorous sex life in Grunny's Revenge, <laughs> uh, he's got four transformations in this game. Unique transformations. They don't recycle any of this garbage from Kazooie or Tui. And, like, it's it's presented as Mumbo's magic is weaker here. He's not that great of a shaman yet. So the the transformations kind of suck in comparison to Kazooie and Tui. But I like them. I, I think these are fun, and they they um they get the job done of, like, communicating the thrill of transforming Banjo into these yeah, I, I mean, creatures. I mean... I mean, these transformations, I, I mean, they suck compared to what? A walrus that can't do anything? Honestly, uh, the octopus pumpkin? is the octopus is much better than the walrus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, these at least all have functions, and you can use any of them in any world. That That's a big plus. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you actually have a, a radial. You can just choose which one you want to be. So uh, it, it's it's pretty great. Like I would say, the candle is the stupidest one, but because <laughs> you're a, look at that thing. I, the, w- one of the one of the greatest accomplishments DK Vine pulled off, like back in the olden days, was <laughs> asking Lee Loveday, "Hey, do you have a huge high res render of Candle Banjo from Grunny's Revenge?" And he just sent it to us and said, "Here you go." <laughs> just what you so needed. we we have an absurdly large version of candle banjo and not the others <laughs> just that one which uh, honestly i look, re- it has little candle arms i know honestly i would rather have mouse banjo octopus banjo or tank banjo <laughs> literally any of the other ones but we got candle banjo because we thought it'd be funnier <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at look at his little candle arms. I've never noticed that before. Yeah, I guess he needs him to hold that backpack on. I get. Yeah, it wouldn't really work without it. And, you know, 
But he's all drippy. Like, it's the drippiest banjo by far. (laughs) Well, so far. So far. I'm holding out hope. I'm holding out hope we will get a banjo that is even messier in the future. But right now... (laughs) Right now... Just wait until the next banjo game. He's going to be so drippy. As of September 25th, 2023, the drippiest banjo on record is Candle Banjo. From off of yeah, Burnish there Revenge. we go. Um, I love the little teeth coming out of Mouse Banjo, though. Yeah, same. Like, um, I, I wouldn't mind him gnawing on me a little bit. <laughs> Chewing on your earlobe a little. And Freezer says a tank is way cooler than a Whittle Pumpkin. I mean, it's hard to argue. <laughs> But Tank I, Banjo. I think Octopus what a, what a good one. I think Octopus Banjo is, is also great. Hey, here's here's another little thing you might not have noticed about Octopus Banjo. Do you notice okay. his shorts have holes for every tentacle? <laughs> yeah. So I, I never thought that Mumbo changes the um the alchemy of his clothes, but I guess he has to on occasion. Yeah, I, I mean, even in Banjo Tooie, like, well, I guess that's Humba Wumba, but you get stuff like uh, the the TNT plunger, the snowball. Yeah. You know, the clothes just got to change with them. It's not really something you think about until you've got octopus tentacles coming into play. <laughs> that's a lot more legs than normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I really do like the transformations. I very much doubt we will ever see first four figure statues of any of these, but... <laughs> I was about to say, I was just about to bring up, give me a first four figure statue of Octopus Banjo. You know what? Or Candle Banjo. Yeah, how about Yankee Candle uh, shit or get <laughs> off the pot and give us just Candle Banjo. Yeah, hey, you know what? If you need the reference, we got a pretty high quality picture of it. Where who you come to rare licensees <laughs> you know what just just have uh adam park get you in touch with us and we'll take care of it for you <laughs> we'll make it happen so yeah the, the worlds of granny's revenge now they're they're kind of packed with a lot of little lore details all except for cliff farms which is pretty basic i i think cliff farms is clearly a holdover from grunty's curse you know there's the whole bit in that plot where they were like vacationing at a farm this nondescript farm like why are they going yeah. to a farm whose farm is this <laughs> so i i think cliff farms just kind of um held on from all the different versions of the game but uh you know considering the rural themes of banjo kazooie B- banjo in particular it is surprising that we've never really gotten a proper, like, farm area until Cliff Farms. Yeah, it, you'd, you'd think it would be a, a pretty obvious uh, level trope. Maybe they didn't do it because it's just not that interesting a level I think a do. farm. I think a farm could be quite interesting, Dustin. Yeah, yeah I, I guess. It depends on how you do it. Um, and I, I do like that they did it. Do you remember Conqueror's Bad Fur Day? They were farming the cheese. That's true. I do love the farm. That's one of my favorite levels in Bad Fur Day. They made a farm interesting. Marvin. Uh, Although I, is it a farm or is it just the barn? Well, I think a barn like necessitates the notion of a farm. If you have a barn, you have a farm. Right. I guess they are growing cheese. They're, 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 they're like 
raising cheese's livestock in in the nightmare <laughs> world of the rare archipelago when you have googly eyes that can attach to things and bring them to life. You know what? I I never thought of it in that context. Now I love it even more. Marvin ate so much he blew up, but don't worry, he stitched himself back together. Yeah, who could forget? Yeah. Uh, so Cliff Farms, it doesn't really like we we don't know who's running Cliff Farms. Maybe it's Redneck Kong. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> had a, it probably is. Had had the original intent of, of the uh, THQ four come to pass on a Nintendo and we got Diddy Kong Pilot, the original Diddy Kong Pilot, alongside uh, Grunny's Revenge. Maybe that would have been a little connectivity, a little thread between the two. Here's Redneck Kong and Diddy Kong Pilot. Now he's going back to his farm, and you can visit him in Grunny's <laughs> Revenge. Yeah, a little brand synergy there. Or I guess it would have been an alternate timeline Redneck Kong, though. So, <laughs> Oh, that's true. A Redneck Kong who never went Diddy Kong piloting. <laughs> yeah don't worry he's dead now <laughs> we've got two different types of uh animal critters uh, living at cliff farms we've got the little bleeders bleeders which are sheep and we've got the cluckers which are chickens and of course <laughs> we, we've got mama clucker of course who could forget mama clucker uh, I, I just hope look at her, Dustin. Yeah. So for for those of you listening, I provided Dustin with character artwork for all these characters that we're discussing. Th- these are all courtesy, by the way, of the DK Vine Gallery. Once again, Matt Corna, what what he did was he took the in game um, sprites for these characters and he polished them up into render form. So. For, for all the characters who did not get official renders from Granny's Revenge, like Mama Clucker, Matt Horn said, this will not do. And he made unofficial <laughs> renders, which the Banjo-Kazooie wiki cannot differentiate, and they use all the same. So, um, yeah, Mama Clucker, basically a render. Basically as close as you're going to get to an official render for Mama Clucker. It's all thanks to Matt. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we man. lie to you at DK Vine. You're welcome. That's our favorite part. Yeah. We we, we tell you lies and you enjoy it because you don't know any different. Yeah, you slurp those lies right up. Just like it's some gooey pollen from a friendly Mm -hmm. insect. (laughs) No, Grunty's Revenge really starts coming alive. Uh, It is the second world, and not just because you get Kazooie back. It's Bregal Beach. And oh my god... Dustin, the lore of Briegel Beach. So, Briegel Beach seems to be this spiritual pilgrimage site of the Briegel birds. And of course, right. look, we, we only really knew Kazooie. She's a red-crested Briegel. I guess you could make the argument that the birds the characters carry in Banjo-Tooie multiplayer might be other forms of Briegels. But I would think so. It's it's never really explored all that much. But here, in addition to red crested breagles, of course, we now learn about pink breagles and wh- white colored breagles that are referred to as ancient breagles. So the Jinjo Oracle specifically <laughs> says 
The ancient Briegels must be too old for Grunty to put to work in her slave quarry. Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what Gruntilda is doing in Briegel Beach, uh, 1998 Mecca Grunty is doing. Although maybe, no, I don't, I don't think 1978 Gruntilda had any part of the, the quarry in Briegel Beach. I know that she was using the quarry in Briegel Beach for materials for Grunty's lair, but I think she was just like intervening in the construction of Grunty's lair to enslave the Briegels visiting Briegel Beach in the hopes that it would disrupt the timeline and Kazooie's own parentage. That That's just me extrapolating, though. This is never really delved into all that much in Granny's Revenge. But yeah, yeah. Y- you, you've got like your... Talking about environmental storytelling and all the like context where it puts in, you've got like this whole beach that's that's this this place that the Briegels ba- basically migrate to, and you've got like Briegel statues, and it's just it, it's really cool to get that glimpse for like Kazooie's people because so much of Banjo Kazooie the series seems to be rooted in Banjo first and foremost, and Kazooie probably because of the way her character evolved during development, it's kind of an afterthought. So for the team... Yeah, she's just kind of along for the ride. Right. So for the team to come along, the Grundy's Revenge team to come along and say, what if we did a little bit more with the Briegels and and kind of flesh that out just a little bit? That's really cool to see. Yeah, totally. I love that. I I love seeing these Briegels. It's not even something I really asked about in Kazooie. Like, when... uh, we just had Kazooie, and that was good enough for me. But I like seeing uh, all these other Briegels. I think it makes sense to have them around. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, really outside of this, the only other Briegels we've arguably seen aren't even referred to as Briegels for legal reasons. Like, I think Stu in Donkey Kong Country Returns is supposed to be, at the very least, evoke Kazooie. Um, whether or not you can make the argument that he's some form of Briegel, you know, that, that's another debate to be had. And Kablooey in Ukulele and Ukulele Impossible Layer, I think is supposed to be a Briegel, but of course, Platonic can't come out and say that, can they? So. A little mini baby Briegel? Little little baby Briegel. No. (laughs) Yeah, it it reminds me of uh, Yoshi, how he starts out as just like this little gumdrop. I know, I know, and you just want to chew him? Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page here. You don't even want to swallow him, you just want to chew him up and see what he looks like when you spit him out. Yeah, I just want to see what he looks like on the inside. (laughs) Do you know what my favorite character, though, in Briegel Beach is? I think I have an idea, Heil. Yeah, I recently did, so on, um... Uh, on the the various Twitter clones that have sprung up since you know the muskification of Twitter, I I do this feature called Obscure Character Monday, where I I take a character from the DKU that isn't well known outside of our circles, and I do a little uh, write up on them. Now, I, I I love that. I I show uh, any artwork we have of the character and a screenshot of the character where applicable. And uh, I recently did one on this character. Doesn't have an official name because th- this is one of those that that rare never really gave a name, and so 
DK Vine likes to come in and say, well, you got to have a name for this character. A character has to have a name. And right. this was, again, Matt. Matt has done so much heavy lifting for Grunty's Revenge after the fact. Named him Cap'n Skeleton. I love it. I I, I just, for, for those who can't, who can't see it, Cap'n Skeleton, uh, no O in that name. Captain Skeleton. Yeah, it, it, which is which is just quintessential Matt humor. Yeah, he's he's a real apostrophe guy. But what makes Captain Skeleton even funnier, besides his made up name, is his design. And, and this is one of those <laughs> things where if you're not really paying attention, playing your GBA, you would never notice it. The amount of people we've ha- pointed this out to. And they've been blown away. I, our, our friend Courtney, I think, is the most recent one to be bewildered by the actual character design of Captain Skeleton. Captain Skeleton is a ghost pirate who, who is actually a ghost skelly pirate who is a giant skull with glowing, a glowing red eye and, and one of the, his other eyes covered with an eye patch. He's got a red bandana and he's got, Little tube arms and legs attached to the skull. Yeah, you know what? You better change what you just said, because I think Dustin is the most recent one who's bewildered at this design. You never noticed this either? I never noticed this in a million years. I would not have noticed this. His his little dinky body. I love it. Yeah, it, it's not even a body. He's got... Little arms and little legs, which I guess they're bones. They look like matches. Well, yeah, I think they're supposed to be bones, sort of like, a, you know, um, a Jolly Roger, you know, skull and crossbones. Right. But yeah. a- actually made into an actual character. And yeah, they're just little, just attached to his uh, his chin. <laughs> 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 like, like, imagine a wacky inflatable tube guy at the car dealership, except um, he sucked. Except if he sucked, yeah. What I if, if instead of like really long, uh, wiggly arms, he just had little matchsticks. What I appreciate about the Cap and Skeleton fight, he, he's he's a fight you you have in Briegel Beach, Banjo because we walk out to the pier or dock or whatever, and and it's in the um like it's like a, the shooty like a shooty mini game where you're using Kazooie to shoot eggs at Captain Skeleton. Captain Skeleton is yeah. a great example of accidental DKU continuity after the fact. So rare in no way design this boss battle thinking if we one day make a whole game about pirates we we should really foreshadow how the ghost ship battles are going to work. <laughs> they weren't thinking in those terms, but lo and behold, Dustin, the Captain Skeleton boss fight is pretty much exactly how ghost ship battles work in Sea of Thieves. Pretty much. I mean, there are some big differences. You do not fire at them with eggs from a bird, but overall, the concept is the same. Here's the thing, Dustin. If you could... If you had access to a bird that shot eggs in Sea of Thieves, this would be nigh identical. Exactly. 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 Eggs. 
Exactly. Exactly. It, that took me a, a few times of you saying it. It it took you twenty years to know that Kevin Skeleton had little tube arms and legs. Yeah, lot lots of revelations tonight. The uh, the I mean, okay, so ghost ships. Generally, there's only so many ways you can portray them, and a very popular way to portray them is as green apparitions, green, green specters. But this is right. so close to the way Sea of Thieves does it that when they added ghost ship battles to the game, like, I went back to Grunny's Revenge, and I was like, holy shit! <laughs> and this, this is what I love about the DKU, because Rare never planned any of this crap out. But <laughs> because... They only have so many ideas. <laughs> it just all syncs up so beautifully. And, um, yeah, so, so you fight Captain Skeleton. Well, Captain Skeleton is a ghost. Um, he, right. He, he is a ghost skelly, which, which can be a thing. And, um, what I love about it is he, um, he, he haunts this, like, section off the coast of Regal Beach. Then you can swim down into his actual shipwreck. So you fight his ghost ship. Then you can swim down into his shipwreck later on. And sure enough, there is a portrait of Captain Skeleton as a, I was going to say flesh and bone skeleton, but I guess just as a bone skeleton because there's no flesh. <laughs> but but it's Captain Skeleton when he was a living, well, no, not living, more more living than he was up above the surface when, when he was re, a reanimated corpse versus just the specter of a reanimated corpse. Anyway, yeah, he, he's more, he's more physical here. It gets very confusing, but I love that you actually visit his physical ship where presumably his physical remains are interned. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gives a little more to him to, to this skull that you probably wouldn't even think twice about normally. And this is why I say that Sea of Thieves feels like the payoff of so much stuff Rare set up going back. I mean, going back to the Sir Arthur Pendragon games, but like in, in the more modern sense, since 1994, since Donkey Kong Country first had a damn galleon sail into the map screen. It, it, it's just little stuff like this that have really accumulated. If you've been paying attention to all of these games, then Sea of Thieves will just feel like the natural... Not end goal, but just just the natural like master statement on all the pirate ch- chicanery nonsense that, <laughs> that goes on in rare games. Um, so we talked about past versions of characters, Dustin, and you know right. Mumbo being a seventies Burt Reynolds Lothario, cool, cool. Honeybee is basically the same, like Master Jiggy Wiggy. There's there's fundamentally little difference between them. The the biggest, the starkest, I am visiting a younger version of a Banjo character in Grunny's Revenge is Blubber. Captain Blubber shows up in Briegel Beach, but he's a, he's a kid. He's, he's a little kid. He's Little Blubber, and he's got a club called Little Blubber's Pirate Scouts. Yeah, how many uh how many of his pirate scouts do you think are still alive by the time you meet him in Kazooie? I think it's kind of like my friends where they uh lost interest in my interest and they they like so so the way I view little blubber's pirate scouts is like 
uh, the DKU. Lil Blubber was really dedicated to being a pirate, and he's the only one who stuck to it. All of his other friends, uh, like, had kids and, uh, like, got desk jobs somewhere. Yeah, we're gonna, like, play a sport instead. Lil Blubber kept true to his childhood ambitions, and he became a Donkey Kong... I mean, uh, a pirate captain. (laughs) Uh, Smooth. I really love the design of Lil Blubber. Yeah, same. You know, look at look at that little guy. We're we're used to seeing like baby versions of iconic video game characters, but I never liked the design of them. I'm I'm talking about Baby Mario, Baby Luigi, Baby Peach, Baby Rosalina, right? Um, because you're just taking like. In a lot of cases, this middle-aged man and making them look like a middle-aged baby. <laughs> like, you're, you're just like, all right, well, let's get the mustache off of him and just make him small. But... I, I Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I guess let's put him in a diaper. Let's put him in a diaper, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not monsters. Uh, but Lil Blubber, he, he feels like the child version of the Banjo-Kazooie character. And he's cute. He's a cute version of Blubber. Yeah. I love him. I love yeah, look, oh. look at his little teeth. And I I love him. He's like, you know, hey, 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 Bear, do you want to join little Blubber's Pirate Scouts? He's so enthusiastic, he just wants more recruits. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I This is the kind of shit that warms my heart, Dustin, because I'm not a monster. I'm not made of stone. I'm not the Jinjo Oracle. I'm a soft touch. And so when I see right. even a character who is just as... um inconsequential in the grand scheme of things as Captain Blubber. And I know Captain Blubber is more consequential than most of the characters we obsess over on DK Vine. Like, I know Captain Blubber means a lot more to Rare Shared Universe than Captain Skeleton because Captain Blubber has a real name and he doesn't have little tube arms. (laughs) But, like, he's still kind of small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. But But I just love that we got this little backstory of him that he wanted to be a pirate even back then yeah yeah i i love it i love this little guy yeah so Briegel beach is is a, a fun a fun world yeah i i just always like beach levels even if we've like already done a beach level in banjo before well, like yeah it, I, I still like it i still like being there well and i think that's also an important distinction to make is you know treasure trove cove is such an iconic environment in Banjo-Kazooie to do another beach environment takes hubris it, it it's yeah. like but the fact that they did it and they ha- they were able to say something different with it they didn't just repeat the same tropes like ah here's Snacker he's gonna get you again but in the past so it's the first time <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's a little baby Snacker <laughs> yeah it's yeah M- maybe Snacker grew because he took a bite out of a time traveling Banjo <laughs> and that's that's where he first developed the taste for bear meat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I wish, I wish that was the world we lived in, but uh, not the case. But I, I do like that we at least get little blubber. I like that we get something. Now, Freezer earlier pointed out that in Banjo Pilot, Briegel Beach does appear, but they reuse the background of Treasure Trove Cove, and we're going to have to explain that when we eventually do the spotlight episode for Banjo Pilot. Ooh, shit, you're right. We will, but not today. 
Not today. <laughs> For another day. Bad Magic Bayou, Dustin. Uh, Bad Magic Bayou also has some knockout lore. <laughs> okay, oh, go I, ahead. I, I was hoping you would pick up on that because you'd be so excited that you would just jump <laughs> in and finish my sentence for me. Oh, I would never do that because I don't want to. Are, are are you are you not as enthused about Bad Magic Bayou as I am? No, I no, I like Bad Magic Bayou. My, I actually love Swamp Levels. I know, Heil, you're not a big fan, if I remember right. Is that correct? Okay, so my, my thing about Swamp Levels, Dustin, and, and this okay. is nuanced, and I'm sorry if I didn't give the impression that this was more nuanced than that. Sometimes I get very grumpy and, and I'm just like, I hate swamp levels. Yeah. I hate all swamp levels. <laughs> but, but in all actuality, I do like a good swamp level. But the problem is, I think it's hard to do a good swamp level because so many swamp levels have this, this pitfall um, of looking visually nondistinct you got too many similar hues going on. Oh, here's just a bunch of green. It just, it just muck. Blah. It looks like pea soup. Right. Um, I think you can do a good swamp level, but it's a challenge. I, I, and I, I think what really like broke me for swamp levels was, uh, Moody makes Marsh and ukulele. I, I really like ukulele. I really, I really love a lot about ukulele. That's my least favorite world in ukulele. Yeah, it's it's just not nice to look at. It, it, it's very yeah. dimly lit. It it just can't really stand out. Yeah, and uh, that being said, Bad Magic Bayou, I think it it's interesting. The, the top down format um makes it so you're at least looking at interesting things. They're they're able to keep it from falling into that just depressing environment and they're all they're also able to do something different with it they kind of go into this whole sort of like cajun like new orleans swamp kind of thing with like the the voodoo tie-in and like the bad magic is is implied in that but bad magic bayou specifically is where gruntilda not only had her first haunted mansion before there was Mad Monster Mansion, Dustin, she had uh, a, a more modest estate here called Monster Manor. Yeah, she was just she was just kind of dabbling in haunted mansions a little bit. Which God, like young Gruntilda, had how many homes? And and like <laughs> now, like our generation, Dustin's we're never going to be homeowners. Not not yeah, in the United it, States, it, at least. Yeah, you you got. It's almost like you gotta be magic to own a home. We've we've got to find an island, and 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 I guess kick out the little furry creatures who live there, and say this is <laughs> yeah. my mountain now. And also, I'm putting a monster house over there. <laughs> yeah, you know, form form it to look like our faces. I you know it, it's never really delved into, but I imagine the Winky Bunyan family they were born wealthy like they have all of this generational wealth and that like they they just like blow it on like becoming like magic practitioners like let's all become like wicked witches let's do it like they make yeah, a pact. I, I mean 
I, in in Banjo Kazooie, one of uh, Bruntilda's hints can be that Gruntilda sleeps on a big pile of treasure. Yeah. And even if that's not the one you get, I think that could still imply. Oh yeah, they they are rich. Gruntilda has like a a a whole ton of treasure. Just because she doesn't sleep on it here, she could if she wanted to. Yeah. And she's got an underwear factory. Um. That that you know. Yeah. I, I don't know when she. Well, actually, we we might have an answer to that in a little bit. So uh, let me put a let me let me let me put a little pin in that. We're gonna take that pin out in just a bit. But uh, Bad Magic Bayou, more importantly than Monster Manor, this is where Klungo creates Gruntilda's monster army, the Gruntlings, right. and, and what have you. And this is also where they train the monster army. So, so all of the, the monsters we see in this game, Banjo-Kazooie, um, and Banjo-Tooie, they went through the regiment here in Bad Magic Bayou. Uh, the, the, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that that gives it a real purpose. I, I love when worlds and places, like, exist beyond just being a little place for you to platform around yes. in. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love when we get little, backstories like that like for me in banjo kazooie like the whole monster army thing felt vague and ill-defined like it wasn't this thing i could really wrap my head around like the kremlin crew right right but grunty's revenge really shored that up for me it's okay no there is this system in place like Klungo has this main lab here in bad magic bayou where he threw an alchemy of Mad science and black magic creates these monsters, and then they're trained by like this real sergeant Gruntling. It's great. It, it, it's <laughs> that, like, that's you, a fun character. You've you've got these. You see these tires that they run through, like you know, an, an army like training course. It's just that little bit of world building that just makes me buy into all of this nonsense. Same, same, same here, same here, Heil. You know what? I I think this Banjo Kazooie series might be okay. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that if it wasn't for Grunny's Revenge. <laughs> it it really just brings everything together. I also have to point out too that Bad Magic Bayou is home to a Bigfoot variant. So you remember the uh, Yetis from Hailfire Peaks? Oh, Heil, how could I forget? So they also appear later on in Grunny's Revenge. But we've got a swamp variant called Bogfoot that appears here. What a perfect name. Perfect name and also ties into real world cryptozoology. Did you know that? Oh, oh, I knew. You knew. Oh, I knew. Because right. Jeff and I, we never shut up about the skunk ape. <laughs> now what the skunk Believe ape- it or not, the skunk ape has been mentioned multiple times on me and Mitchell's podcast as well. We're, we're 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 basically twins. Basically, they are the exact same podcast. We're we're basically just skunk ape brethren. And <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with legendary apes who dwell in the hinterlands, the skunk ape is a variant, if you will, uh, uh, an evolutionary offshoot. Of your Sasquatch, aka Bigfoot, right? Of the Bigfoot your... Echo Fighter. So, so basically, Bigfoots are in the temperate forest of North America. 
We've got Yetis. They are the snow variant found in places like the Himalayans. Skunk ape is in the more humid swamplands. Um, they, they are just, yeah, they're basically Bigfoot of the swamp, but I really like that rare was like, yeah, yeah, they're bogfoots. <laughs> they're bogfoots. They live here and you're just going to have to get used to it. So, which also raises the question, Dustin. Okay. You know what question I'm going to ask? <laughs> you, I don't. You, you know, you know. Oh, oh, do I? Oh, you, you. You know, in your heart, you know, your brain might right. be well, what drawn a, what a blank. You, yeah, why don't you re- just refresh me? I'll, get, I'll, get my brain up to speed. I'll tickle it out of your heart into your brain space. <laughs> so DK Vine's philosophy is that all apes in the rare archipelago have the surname of Kong. Would this also um, like ensnare, uh, like bring in the mythical apes like your Bigfoots, your Bogfoots, your Sassy Squatch. And what is the relation between Sassy Squatch and Bigfoot? Are they Kongs, Dustin? Uh, you know what? To me, they feel a little too divorced from being the being Kongs. Me, me, me. Like, just, just looking at them, they, they look a, a little too far off for me to entertain the idea. Are you saying that a uh, Sasquatch is not an ape? They Sasquatch always struck me as kind of its own thing. It never really did strike me as a, a traditional ape, I guess. But I'm, I'm not an expert in the field. Dustin, when I take you into the woods and we encounter a Sasquatch, <laughs> you're going to have to explain this to them. And... Uh, it's going to be awkward for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, here's the thing. If they tell me, if I go up to a, a Sasquatch, a, a Bigfoot, a skunk ape even, and they tell me, they if they come up to me and say, yeah, we're, we're part of the ape family, I would gladly be like, okay, you know what? Cool. I'm glad you cleared that up for me. They can't speak English in real life. Are you an idiot? I guess I am. All right. It's it's all I, right. I like to think they would be able to speak a little English. They, they'd be able to sign for sure. Like, they they would know sign language. They'd be able to pick it up at least. Right. I like the idea of, if, if I'm going to meet a Sasquatch, I like to know that they can speak and rollerblade. I'm sure you give a Sasquatch a pair of rollerblades. They would have the time of their life. <laughs> That's my favorite book. If you give a Sasquatch a pair of rollerblades. The problem is finding a pair of rollerblades big enough for their big feet. Oh my god. I would I would feel so bad if I brought them a pair of rollerblades and they just look at me like, dude, what the fuck are you thinking? Look at the, you seen these feet? Even worse is they're super excited and they go to put them on and they don't fit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to pretend like I haven't been staring at their feet this whole time. You do love feet. Oh, man. Now I feel awful. Yeah, you should. Speaking of feeling awful, <laughs> Spillers Harbor. <laughs> what a good segue. Uh, yeah. So Spillers Harbor is probably um the world we talk about the most here dk vine and not for any (laughs) pleasant reason (laughs) 
You, you, oh, you, boy. You know yeah, where we're I'm going all with... familiar. We're all familiar with this one. You know where I'm going with this. I think everybody who has listened to a few episodes of The Conversation probably knows where I'm going with this. We don't meet any other past versions of characters in, in Grunty's Revenge. But we do visit the location where Tipped Up the Turtle was conceived. And I don't yep. know I don't know what it is about Granny's Revenge with, with all the hardcore uh sexual intercourse going on, but there was a lot going on in the Tip Top Suite, which is uh so Spillers Harbor is a resort town, right? Uh-huh. Um it, it, it's a seaside resort town that has been heavily polluted. It, it It's kind of like, you know, in the 70s before the EPA cleaned up the Great Lakes, you know, kind of that vibe. But right. um, all the same, there there is a romantic getaway that Tip Tup's parents presumably frequented, uh, which is called the Tip Tup Suite. And just like Ron Howard names all of his kids after where they were conceived like Bryce Dallas Howard, um, presumably Tip Top's parents, because Tip Top was conceived in this hotel room, uh, they, they named him Tip Top in honor of where they did the dirty deed. Yeah, look at all this stuff on the carpet. Yeah, so, okay, so this is actually a discussion I had with Pete Hens. <laughs> I, I, I just... Oh, no. I was like, so I want to talk to you about the semen stains you so, so pete hence this... <laughs> and he knew exactly what you were talking about he said uh, ah yes the tip top suite so pete hence was the one who designed the tip top suite okay he remembered and i brought up the white <laughs> stains the the white splotches it's, it's one thing to call them stains but i think we need to be articulate here they are splotches the yeah <laughs> it's not just white right so the carpet is kind of the salmon colored this, this um this pinkish hue. And there are these off-white splotches just all across the carpet. Crusty. They 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 give Ugh. the they give the connotation that there is this definite crunchiness to it if you walked across it. <laughs> and I hate that. I hate this podcast. I I I I brought this up to, to Mr. Hence and I was like, you know, our theory, my theory is that when I explained what the theory was that there was just um vigorous a vigorous weekend, a long weekend even <laughs> of Tip Top's parents going at it and um leaking. I I le- Stuff went everywhere indiscriminately. And he 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 laughed and he was like, sure. <laughs> sure, why not? And in that moment, our interpretation of the tipped up suite did become canon. And <laughs> word of God, what can I say? Yeah, I, I mean I I love that it's canon. Uh to to be totally fair, uh if it's the seventies, is this really all that different from other suites and hotels? Is it all that different from suites and hotels today, Dustin? That's the question you've got to be asking yourself. <laughs> that's that's true. Some things never change. When's the last time you took a black light to where you were sleeping? 
Oh man, I Pax, Pax would have been a lot more uncomfortable if I did. I like that this is the only Banjo Kazooie game where Tip Top does not appear, but some shared DNA from his family does appear. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought uh, when when this character debuted in Diddy Kong Racing that you're like. So long as in six years we get to see his daddy spunk. <laughs> I, I kind of had a hunch. The moment I saw him, I was like, hmm, you know what? I got a good feeling about this guy. The long and winding road of the DKU has taken us to some magical places, but this might be my favorite, my friend. <laughs> it, it's a DK Vine historical landmark. So I'm going to move on from the tipped up suite now because I don't know what if we, more if I could, we have to. I don't know what more I could say about it that I already haven't shared. I can't wait till Destination <laughs> DKU Spillers Harbor, though. <laughs> we should also point out that the rare cow, that hallmark of the rare handheld team, does not physically appear in Grunty's Revenge, but there is a etching of it in the sand to the west in Spillers Harbor. Yeah, someone liked the rare cow enough to to draw it in the sand. You know, when I'm at the beach, I'm like, you know what I miss right now? Cows. <laughs> oh, man, if, see, only, if only I could be more at home. You don't see many cows at the beach is what I'm saying. That's true. You know what? I never thought about that before, but you're so right about that. Now, Spillers Harbor continues to be gross because it is also <laughs> home to a sentient family of poo monsters. That, that's right. Poo monsters called the Ugh. squits. <laughs> the squits. The squits. Now, I love that Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge can have that thematic link back to Conquer because, you know, Conquer. We met a big poo monster, famously, famous poo monster, right. the most famous of the poo monsters. But poo monsters are a thing that can exist elsewhere in the rare archipelago. It's not just isolated to Willow Woods, the Panther Kingdom. There are poo monsters in 1978 Spillers Harbor. And the mother squit, by the way, you know what her name is? Oh, I, I think I know. Go ahead and say it. Mrs... Squitter. Mrs. Squitter, that's right. So, I love the thematic links to Conquer vis-a-vis the poo. I love the thematic links to Donkey Kong using the Squitter name. <laughs> vis-a-vis the poo. Vis-a-vis the poo. I also love... So, you have to help out Mrs. Squitter find her children. Her, 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 her baby poos have scattered about Spillers Harbor and you've got to bring them back. To mommy poo. And oh boy. Th- this is just rare. Like, this is the weird kind of humor they would engage in because it just wasn't enough for them to say, haha, poo, similar to Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Like, I-, I know there's more to it. We have the big operatic Chris Marlowe song that everybody loves. I know. But I, I feel like Grunty's Revenge was a lot s- more subtle because. The joke here is they made these adorable little children, but they're poo. 
Yeah, they're they're never referred to as poo either. It's just for you to know. Well, it was it was confirmed in scribes after the fact. Right. That, I I just mean in in game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they could be sludge monsters, right? Like <laughs> but we know they're not. They 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 skirt around the ESRB. Um right. But no, they're 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 poop and uh like I I sh- so when I announce this episode of the conversation, I usually have a I mean I usually I always have a social media preview image for what we're talking about that in some way relates to the topic at hand. And for right. this, I thought I would be really clever and I used a screenshot of Octopus Banjo talking to one of the baby squits uh, aboard a ship off Spiller's Harbor and uh the 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 baby poo is saying Bye, hug you soon. <laughs> that is clever. <laughs> I got so little engagement on these social media posts. Oh. And at first I thought, damn Elon Musk screwing up Twitter. But it turns out that, one, not many people care about Granny's Revenge in the, in the wider world. <laughs> Two, I was probably being off-putting using this picture of a poo baby saying that he's going to hug you. No, I, I mean, that's their fault if they don't recognize uh, how great that is. I mean, anyone, I, anyone should be like, oh, a, li- a little poo thing, sign me up. I agree in principle, but also I, I, I have to, like, look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you have to be this way. Like, can't <laughs> you just be more appealing to people? Maybe... <laughs> Things could be different. Th- yeah, m- maybe I would be... Like Gruntilda's, like, sleeping on a big pile of treasure with my underwear factory. <laughs> if I was just a little bit more appealing, you know, like her. Yeah, yeah, like Gruntilda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Poop Poop Monster is fantastic. Love when you see it. But also, we got to give a special shout out to another favorite resident, Denizen of Spillers Harbor, Alfred Peacock. Now, he's a peacock. This isn't, like... You know, dick humor, but maybe it is because Alfred Peacock is the owner of the Mister Drippy ice cream truck. Yeah, bad, bad marketing on his part. He never put the two together. So between you know, Mister Drippy run by Mister Cock, the the poop lumps and the tip top sweet Spillers Harbor is. Pound for pound, bar none, the most disgusting location in the TKU. <laughs> it, it's just, it's just a rancid, like hive of debauchery. Dustin, oh, d- uh, no need to tell me, Heil. Like the please bodily, don't. It's disgusting. The bodily fluid, the the excrement. What the hell? I love it. <laughs> yeah, what happened here? Well, I mean, it's a statement on pollution in the 70s, you know, before the uh, ecological environmental movement really started cleaning up these places. Before, you know, then we started politicizing environmentalism and then we started polluting them again. But yeah, you you, you won't be seeing any little uh, poo monster babies in this day and age. I mean, I'm trying to sell people. On environmentalism, Dustin. You're making it sound like it's a bad thing now. <laughs> Let's go back to the way things were, huh? 
Um, so Freezer asks in a live stream. I gotta check in with Freezer because she she's she's with us all the way here, and I'm I'm yeah, really hello. like I said, she's the unofficial co-host of this episode. She says, "Do they right. make the ice cream by milking bovina?" Hmm. It, it does raise some ethical questions about ice cream in the DKU, presuming it is made with dairy. Um, and this was the 70s, so I don't think they had, like, almond ice cream, oat milk ice cream, or what have you. Uh, I can't do oat milk ice cream, Dustin. It makes me have some little squits, if you know what I mean. Ooh, <laughs> I think I get what you mean. Yeah, it's because the oil content in oat milk uh, doesn't agree with me. Almond ice cream, almond milk ice cream, just fine. I, I can process that just fine, but... Oat milk ice cream, it's like I'm eating dairy. It's just just not 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 an acceptable solution for my intestines. But right. in 1978, they didn't really have that, so I would imagine it would be dairy. But then, yeah, if you have, like, sentient cows who can talk to you, it's like, yep, yeah, go ahead and milk me. I'm all for it. Let's, let's get it done. Yeah, you know, it, maybe it's a job for them. Or maybe they market it themselves. Like, people want what, yeah. my goods. I'm going to... Crank it out and <laughs> bottle it, and they can make ice cream with it if they want. You know, you know what? That's smart. <laughs> I real like we we talked a little bit about how like in Conquer they have the googly eyed cheese, so they just raise it like a livestock. I I want to see more right. of the, like the inner workings of the, the more complicated politics of the DKU, like milk from from talking cows. Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, you get you could get a whole game out of that. I want to play that. Let's just, let's just have a novel. Like it doesn't even have to be a game. Like <laughs> let's get Chris Alcock to write the novel for this. Yeah, you know what? Finally, put these questions to bed. Uh, that really should be Rare's number one priority. No more of these Sea of Thieves books. We we've had... I, I want to read about. Yeah. What? How? How do you get milk here? We've we've had Sea of Thieves, um, Athena's Fortune. We've had Sea of Thieves, Heart of Fire. Let's have a completely different book, Bovina's Sweet Treats, <laughs> a Banjo Kazooie novel. You can have her on the cover, looking seductive at the viewer, <laughs> or, or like holding holding one of her fingers up to her mouth, saying it's a secret. And no, she, she she's got one finger up on her mouth but then on the other side of her mouth she's got like a a fudge bar or something like a what, what? <laughs> yeah perfect so, i'm i'm on board already so freezing furnace is is the last world it is similar to hailfire peaks top side it it's <laughs> snowy but then you go down into the underground and it's kind of this industrial cauldron a furnace, if you will. Yeah. And what's it, interesting... It's basically like if you took Hailfire Peaks and mashed it together with Grunty Industries. Well, literally in this case, because the underground furnace area is called Grunty Industries. Yep, there it is, right there in the text. Now, I, I think people would like confuse this with the physical location in Banjo-Tooie. I don't think that's the implication here. I think this is where Grunty Industries got its start in 1978. Like, like this was the the 
the first Grunty Industries before they uh, before they expanded. This is where it incorporated. This is before they built the big factory on the Isle of Hacks. This this is this this little like hellscape underneath the snow is where Grunty Industries first got its start. Just like Apple, Apple computers started in a garage. Grunty Industries Man. started in a, a, a lava pit underneath the snow <laughs> humble beginnings especially for an underwear factory am i right like <laughs> yeah let, let's make our underwear factory in uh the depths of hell and yeah. then just expand from there like if i'm starting an underwear factory my inclination would be well i gotta get a sewing machine i guess some fabric <laughs> Uh, no, but, Gruntilda said, let's put this in an inferno. Right, like, like Grunt, Gruntilda just goes for it. That's what I, I do admire that about her. Like, she doesn't take any half measures. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Her priorities are a little out of whack, but she gets there eventually. It's like, well, wouldn't this just burn the underwear? It's like, don't worry about it. Like, we're... Yeah, <laughs> who cares? We're going to have so much geothermal energy powering it that, you know, we're going to make up for the loss of product and just the the energy savings. <laughs> she, you know what? You got to admire her for it. I, I do like the little touches, though, that this game does provide. Like, oh, here's Grunty Industries 22 years before you know, like, what it becomes. Here is, like, before Mad Monster Mansion, we got the Monster Manor. Just little stuff like that that shows that this world is not stagnant. It is ever-evolving, and we're getting little snapshots in time. Like yeah, little baby versions. Yeah, yeah, like opposite ends of the timeline, and then we can just fill in the blanks. It, Rare really does excel at this form of world-building, where they show rather than tell. Yeah, and, and, and then just let you build your own thoughts off of that. Exactly. I mean, that's what DK Vine has kind of built its uh, empire on, is just saying, hey, you know, Kremlin Temple's there. Donkey Kong Land establishes Kremlantis. There's a Northern Kremisphere. Let's put all these pieces together. That makes sense. Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. Um, wasn't, was there... Was there or was there not concept art of a little baby Boggy that they never ended up putting into this? I, I would assume he would be in this level. I remember seeing something uh, kind of like uh, Blubber earlier. I think they had plans for Boggy. I don't know if it's here or somewhere else in the game that just didn't end up making it. That would make sense. And I'm, I'm sure there is concept art. I'm sure they've kicked around so many ideas, but, you know... Back when all this concept art was coming off, you know, Twitter and just the various people who worked on the game sharing ideas, I, I think Boggy, yeah, was probably in the cards and they didn't implement them for whatever reason. Maybe there just wasn't time or there just wasn't a, a good fit for him in the same way that um, Blubber facilitated that mini game. Well, uh, well, let me read to you what it says on the Banjo-Kazooie wiki here. Not, uh, not always it, accurate, the Banjo-Kazooie wiki, by the way. But, right, right, yeah. but I, this does, I, I do remember seeing this, so I okay. think in this case it's right. Uh, in Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, Boggy was planned to appear in the cut world Freezing Fjord, uh, which was eventually merged together with another cut world Fiery Furnace to become Freezing Furnace in the, fin in the final game. Yeah. Unused sprites depict him riding a sled can also be found in the game's files. 
What was he a so baby? It, was it was was he young? Um, I I might have <laughs> just made that part up because it's weird. Because I wouldn't think Boggy would be that much older than Banjo. Yeah, and if you're um, time traveling to 1978, I mean, I don't know. Oh, I'm I'm looking at it right now. Uh, he does look like a little kid, like Blubber. He's like okay. a little kid, Boggy. Okay. Uh, oh, he's cute. They should have kept that. <laughs> then again, when we're talking about deviants, the perverts of the Banjo Kazooie series, maybe after Spiller's oh. Harbor, they're like, all right, we we don't need to see like how Boggy like perverted himself into the guy who just freely masturbates in his family den. <laughs> yeah, it would just make you sad yeah. see, seeing how little innocent Boggy and just knowing that things go so horribly wrong. Yeah, I, I don't think Boggy is ever somebody we need to like go back in time and see the pure version of. <laughs> He's just a scumbag. Let's just let it lie. Yeah, just <laughs> just, just just know him how he is now. You know, it's interesting that they mashed up the two worlds like that. I mean, it, it's it's something like the handheld teams of Rare just did, like Donkey Kong Land 2. Oh, we, we somehow don't have the space for Crocodile Cauldron and Krem Key. Uh, let's, let's do Krem Cauldron. Like, just <laughs> mash them up. Just throw them together. Um, yeah, they go, they go so well together. But the whole, like weird dichotomy thing is something rare like to do so um and like i said this this kind of this kind of works as sort of a a piece with hailfire peaks in its own way yeah um and you know i don't think anything's lost by merging them together you know we had an ice level already we we already had hailfire peaks in tui by this point so i don't i don't know i don't think it matters that they mashed the ice and fire levels together again and again, like they do something different with the fire section where it's not just yeah. lava side, it's grunty industries like 1.0. So exactly. So yeah, like they, they make like lemonade out of lemons, right? Except I don't like lemonade <laughs> all that much. So I make lemonade out of anything I've previously drank. That's disgusting, Dustin. On this <laughs> podcast, that's for all ages. Well, you know, we we were talking about Sasquatch earlier. So. Oh, that's right, it's Sasquatch who loves the pee. Uh, that that's a, <laughs> so. For those who don't know, because this has come up on our streams recently. Speaking of streams, um, Woo! there is a horrifying beef jerky commercial that that's airing. <laughs> That, that, I love just that alone. There's a horrifying beef jerky commercial. Yeah, here 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 in the states they have beef jerky commercials for the different beef jerky brands. You know, your your Slim Jims with your Macho Men and um your your Jack Links with your Sasquatch as as your mascot. And Jack Links, the beef jerky brand, used to have this this ad campaign called Messing with Sasquatch, where it showed uh, bullies uh, tormenting the poor, gentle, wild man of the forest. And uh, you always felt bad for them. And like, why would you do this? I'm never going to eat this beef jerky. You know, I don't eat beef jerky, but, you know, like, if I did eat beef jerky, I would avoid this because I want to befriend Sasquatch. I don't want to mess with him. Yeah, I, I don't want this jerky to turn me into a Sasquatch bully. But maybe maybe they 
thought better of it. And they were like, well, we want to keep the Sasquatch brand name because it's part of our corporate identity, but we don't want to mess with him anymore. How can yeah. we convey the Sasquatch within? And so now in their commercials, they have somebody uh, enjoying a little a little snippet, a little uh, a little morsel of the beef jerky. And then uh, Sasquatch, like, grows out of them. It's like, unleash your wild side. That's what they say now. And, uh, like, become the Sasquatch that is that lives within you. And so this one commercial that Jeff first pointed out to us and made us watch. Because Jeff, you know, he, he watches the college football games and uh, he sees stuff like this and then he shares with us. Um, so th- there's this commercial of this man at this urinal and he now whenever i'm at a urinal i'm not eating anything my my inclination (laughs) is i'm gonna do my business i'm gonna get out of here yeah keep keep food and and pee time separate exactly i always say that you know what what comes out of me doesn't need to become at coming out of me when something's going into me it's just too complicated (laughs) it gets messy but, I only have two hands. But I, I guess this person is, is trying to life hack. And they're like, you know, <laughs> if, if I can eat my beef jerky while I'm urinating, think of all the things I'll have time for. Yeah, that would free up so much time. I'll be sleeping on a big pile of treasure in no time. So anyway, eats the beef jerky at the urinal. What do you know? Sasquatch grows out of his back and uh, also starts urinating. And of course, Sasquatch, being a large, hairy primate, of a mythical stature can apparently urinate with the uh, speed force and veracity of a fire hose and uh, pees in the opposite direction. Pee pees out of this individual's back essentially and destroys the opposite urinal with the force of his urine. And I described this to you. Not that it has any direct relation to Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, only in that we've talked about Sasquatch so many times. And I feel like right. this commercial is going to keep coming up throughout the football season here at DK Vine, the American football season here at DK Vine, because Jeff's going to keep bringing it up, and then I'm going to keep bringing it up, and you're just going to need to know what it is. So I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now, so you not only know what it is, but so you know to avert your eyes should you bear witness to this on your own TV boxes. Be warned. This exists. It's in the wild, and somehow it's airing. And it shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that Sasquatch is pretty based. What? They're going to start advertising on our Twitch channel. (laughs) <laughs> they, they're gonna be like oh this is the perfect spot for it you, that would be very good then everyone would know <laughs> so we have a call but spoiler alert it's freezer <laughs> so we're, we're gonna we're oh, gonna boy. we're gonna play freezer's call hear what she has to say respond to it and we're gonna start wrapping this up and, and we're going to get to the heart of why Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge still matters. And I know contemporary critics at the time didn't think it mattered back then. We're going to tell you why they're wrong. Yeah. Hey, Hyle and Duster. This is Frieza. 
I'll cut to the chase and just say I love Grunty's Revenge. I love it more than most people. It is an unhealthy obsession, but it's just how I feel. Now, a lot of the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance content from Rare and the DPU as a whole, I just wasn't really aware of until I discovered DK Vine like six or seven years ago. But most of these games didn't really get big marketing pushes, and even the few I was slightly aware of, like this Game Boy Advance Banjo game, I dismissed it as a kid because I thought it would just be a kind of shallow experience that couldn't possibly live up to the N64 game. Now, thanks to you, Hyle, Grunty's Revenge is my second favorite game in the series, right behind Tui and still ahead of Kazooie. I'm sure that's not something you hear very often. But this game is so short and simple, and it's easy to replay on a whim. It's the kind of game that you play when you've got like 90 minutes of free time, and you think, why not replay it? I can beat my best time, surely. All the transformations are unique, and we have no filler here. And now Spanjo might be the cutest thing in the series. And we have Robot Grunty, which is my favorite version of her. She's still threatening, but this is a version of her that's been defeated by the bear and bird, so she still wants revenge. But she also rhymes. You know, this is like an amalgamation of all the different versions of Grunty. And I kind of love it. You know, this is a best of both worlds situation. Um... I'm kind of rambling, but I love this game, and because of you, Hyle, I discovered all these games that I love, or at least enjoy a bit, like Pocket Tales. But, best of all, Grunty's Revenge was the first game I played with the rare cow in it, and it led me to discover this thing, and it created another unhealthy obsession for me. Make the rare cow DKU. We all know Perfect Dark and the Mickey Mouse games are DKU, even if you won't accept them, Hyle, do it. Do it for me. Do it for Steve and whoever else cares. Please. <laughs> Thank you for the call, Freezer. Just you and Steve. That's it. You're the only ones who care about the rare cow. I mean, I care <laughs> about the rare cow to an extent, but the unhealthy obsession. We all, we all have our unhealthy fixations. It might not even be unhealthy because, you know, if it brings you joy and you're not hurting anybody, is it really unhealthy? But we, we all have our fixations and our, and our like areas of expertise. For me, it, it's Royston more than the rare cow. Royston does appear in Grunty's Revenge, by the way. He, uh, he appears on the barbecue, on the grill at the beginning and end of the game. In fact, Grunty's Revenge starts off with, like, th- them basically being like, I guess we finally have to clean off that barbecue. Uh, <laughs> it's been two months. It's, a, it's about time. <laughs> two months is about as, as long as I can stand having this fish on there. Royston surviving in the grilled juices, the rainwater that, that, that pools <laughs> in there, like, barely hanging on. But, um, yeah, like, no. Mickey, Mi- Mi- the, was it Mickey Speedway USA? What is the Game Boy Color Mickey's one? Racing Adventure. Mickey's I had Racing that one Adventure. as a kid. You had that one I didn't one even know kid. it was rare when I got it at first. I Like, it, it was before I really, like, thought of Rare as, like, a studio and a, as a brand. Yeah. So I just thought of it as, like, a Mickey Mouse game. I didn't even think, oh, these are the same people. This is the same studio who makes all those other games I like. I mean, that that is, like, I think the one you can make the case for, because it's a physical cow that appears in it. 
which, right. which similar to the physical cow that appeared in Conker's Pocket Tales. But that you know that that's a whole other like tribunal episode waiting to happen. So uh, we're we're not going to sully the good name of why Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge still matters by talking about the Mickey Mouse game from the Game Boy Color. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Freezer. Yeah. Just, just know that I played it. I, I think I enjoyed it. It was basically <laughs> just Mickey Mouse RC Pro Am. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't like kart racers on the Game Boy Advance, but you didn't say anything about kart racers on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> yeah, that that's where they really thrived. Uh, but seriously, Freezer, thank you. I I know you say like I got you into these games, but thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, for making your videos about them it has been a delight to see it's it's just wonderful to see stuff i love through somebody else's eyes and perspective which doesn't happen often nowadays like a lot of this is pretty well-worn territory and generally like if if somebody really really likes this i bring them into the staff and um so it's just been really cool to see somebody with their own channel uh get enthused by them and thank you for spreading the word and advocating for them as, as well um yeah i love it yep so as i alluded to dustin grunny's revenge got some pretty tepid reviews when it first came out this this was not this widely regarded masterpiece that we're making it out to be here on this episode a lot of banjo kazooie right, right. fans didn't like it and one of the common complaints that I heard around the time on the DK Vine forum was, it's just not enough like Banjo-Kazooie. It doesn't feel like the N64 game. Which... I, I mean, obviously. Yeah, like, I feel like it's a silly complaint. Like Yeah, what it, were you expecting? A 3D... A th- big 3D platformer? Like, even in 2003. Like, like I realized 2003 was like uh basically generation removed from 1995 or or even earlier than that with like the Super Mario Land games but i i i was weaned on the concept of these like smaller handheld versions of the bigger console games it right. was it was part of my game education it was part like my tapestry of knowledge of how these things worked so i was expecting Grunty's Revenge to be, you know, not as magnificent, not as grand, not as robust as Banjo-Kazooie or Tui. I was not expecting it to get as close as it did, though. Yeah, same, totally. They, They do a great job. Grunty's Revenge exceeded my expectations so i always like raise my eyebrows like what what are you expecting like maybe maybe if you're it's the game boy advance maybe if you're a wee baby or 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 younger and you never knew a world where handheld titles at the very least weren't nintendo ds quality right like yeah like maybe maybe i could understand you going coming back to this and being like uh 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 but if you were like of this era, I don't get it. I don't get that criticism, but whatever, whatever. Um, critics, like professional game critics, who in 2003 were high on their anti-rare supply. Like this was the beginning of that dark era where they just hated everything Rare did 
Right. Because it was rare. Because either they, like, found fault with them for leaving Nintendo, or it was just in vogue. They were all, like, Generation Xers who didn't grow up with Donkey Kong Country and therefore didn't have the emotional attachment to the studio and, you know, basically were crafting this alternate narrative than the ones we lived with in the 90s. But too many of them didn't like this game and it never sat right with me. Like, at at the most, they said it was okay, it was adequate, but it was too short and too easy. And Freezer alluded to that as well, but Freezer said it was a positive, right? And yeah, like I, I think I agree with that. It I is short, too. it is easy, but I mean, it's it's a little bite-sized banjo game. Yeah, I, I think providing enough of a challenge without being seriously brutal isn't a bad thing. Like, yeah. like that, that's not a, a detriment to me for a game. Is it enjoyable? Should be the first priority like can i have a good time with this even if like i'm not sweating buckets trying to get past a particular part and and i think like yeah like banjo kazooie grunty's revenge is immensely enjoyable it's a yeah totally it it's it's also a game that's able to pack in so much character charm and if you are a serious banjo kazooie or dku fan hardcore lore and world enriching storytelling it's got that like in nearly every corner just bristling with just amazing attention to detail that totally i i think like the the criterion which people judge games to, to this day but especially like if it's not a triple a title like there are there are people who they only go for like oh is it like Starfield right like um or what what's the game called is that is that what it's called I I, I forget. yeah that's the one that's the one okay yeah I was like did I get that wrong that's how little I care um if it's not like the big like multi million dollar extravaganza they don't have time for it right like the the kind right. that just like eats people up alive and spits them out. Um, I, I am, especially in recent years, I've really, like, come to appreciate the indie game industry, just because that's kind of filling the hole that has been left behind by the absence of games like Grunty's Revenge. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Those were some of my favorite things to see when I went to, uh, PAX West. Just, just all these little creative games that, just just get to thrive in in this little area it's fun seeing just uh you you can get a lot of weird ideas uh with these kinds of games ideas that uh big studios might not you know want to throw millions and millions of dollars at uh i actually wish rare put out more after their portable team kind of dissolved just nothing like i I, I thought we could have gotten more like jetpack refueled. Uh, it sucks that you just, there just aren't a lot of smaller little games coming from rare. I, I agree. This is what I really love about this era of rare is you not only have the console games, but you also have the handheld team just putting out content and yeah, it'd be smaller yeah. games, like more bite sized games. You would finish quicker probably, but they were they were mostly like 
exceptional release. They were they were so much fun. And if you are a fan of the property in which they're a part of, um, you, you, you just love to have that content, right? It was just world building. And it also kept the torch alive for things like Banjo-Kazooie. Like, between Tui and Nuts and Bolts, um, what, eight years? So, yeah. like, Banjo-Kazooie, like, in that interim, was Grunty's Revenge. It was Banjo-Pilot. It, it was these games. Like, this, this meant so much to me during that decade. And, like you said, I, I miss this type of game more than ever. Just lower budget, still from, like, a, a major studio... Um, but it's, it's like indulges in like brevity as the soul of wit, right? Like, yeah, it's not this huge expansive game that might take you 300 hours or whatever with DLC later on it, but you can pick it up, you can play it, you can beat it, you can enjoy it, you can pick it up again. And it's yeah. it's just a fun little bite-sized package that leaves you satisfied and happy that you played it. So, yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate that Grunty's Revenge has only ever been referenced, um, well, in the other Grunty's Revenges, like Infusio's Grunty's Revenge Mobile Edition and Grunty's Revenge Missions and Banjo Pilot. Like, Nuts and Bolts never bothered to acknowledge any of its brilliance as Super Smash Brothers Ultimate didn't bring in the Alfred P. Cox spirit. What the hell, Sakurai? <laughs> I thought you were on our side. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, Nuts and Bolts actually, like, in, in that intro at the beginning, it brings up Kazooie and Tui. No Grunty's Revenge even mentioned. Which which is okay. Like, I, I feel like in this modern era of wiki-brained fan culture... Uh, th- there is this notion that anytime something is not explicitly mentioned, that must mean it's not canon, right? Like, yeah. like people like, and and this isn't an indictment against like current fans or even fans who are really all about like you know studying wikis or whatever. Um, but I do think there is this like notion that the studio or corporate entity has to hold your hand or else you like it it just doesn't matter and if it's not mentioned that must mean it's decanonized and and i'm just like oh get over it like of course grunty's revenge is canon like just just fill in the blanks if they don't bring it up like oh it doesn't come up in nuts and bolts well that's just because it doesn't come up in nuts and bolts it doesn't mean it didn't happen like Oh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline book that's coming out isn't mentioning Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, then just fill in the blanks in your own head. You can say Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. happened. It doesn't matter. Like, use your brain. That's part of the fun of being a fan is is making yeah, all these connections. It's not like you it. see... It's not like you see every second, every minute of these characters' lives. It's not like, oh, I guess uh, last Tuesday was not canon because they didn't make it into a game. Right, right. And... Like, as far as Grunty's revenge impact, as far as his legacy goes, I would say it still matters because sometimes a game doesn't have to leave this huge, enormous sales record or revolutionize the genre to have an impact. I think that's very binary thinking. 
Yeah. It it doesn't even have to transcend or be remembered by the general public all that much. Sometimes it just has to mean quite a bit to the people it's being made for. And I think few games do that quite as well as Grunty's Revenge. Beautiful. I I couldn't have said it better myself, Hyle. There are games that are my favorite games. And there are games that, while not ranked as high on my personal list, ensure that my fandom would endure. Like Donkey Kong Country 2. It's my favorite game of all time. I say it time and time again. But I would not be as primed as I was for Donkey Kong Country 2 if it hadn't been for Donkey Kong Land fleshing out that world, getting me excited about it continuing. Just giving me this education in Donkey Kong like Obscura and, and, and really getting me hyped for what comes next. Donkey Kong Land did that and it made me ready for DKC2 in a way that just going from the first Donkey Kong Country to the second Donkey Kong Country wouldn't have done. Yeah. I adore Ukulele in the Impossible Layer. It's one of my top 10 favorite games of all time. But I don't think it would mean nearly as much to me if the original ukulele hadn't laid that groundwork with the characters. Even if I don't like the original ukulele as much as Impossible Lair, Impossible Lair would not mean nearly as much to me if it wasn't for that first game. Same thing, Conqueror's Pocket Tales to Bad Fur Day, right? Right. The Banjo-Kazooie series is known mostly for those first two 3D platformers on the N64 and the controversy around Nuts and Bolts. But right. <laughs> it wouldn't be nearly as interesting if, like Donkey Kong Land before it, Grunny's Revenge hadn't taken us deeper into the world, its history, and its residence. Yeah, you know what? I, I wouldn't be as into Banjo-Kazooie today if we didn't have that big chicken. Yeah, or taking us deeper into the seedy underbelly of the cum-stained fabric of the tip-top suite. Oh, God. Hey, Dustin. I've got another idea for a shirt. This has been a File 2 production. I I almost wet my little pants.